Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia. A global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com I'm not sure anymore Just how it happened before The places that I knew was sunny and blue I can feel it deep inside This black nigger's pride I have no fear when I say And I say it every day Every nigger is a star Every nigger is a star who will deny that you and I and every nigger is a star? Developing now the search for two men who attacked a young woman on South Broadway in Denver. She says she was targeted because she's black. Tom Mustin live at Broadway in Tennessee Forest tonight. And Tom, the victim tells you even she couldn't believe what was happening. Karen, Jacqueline Fitzpatrick says she was sitting right here with two friends when they were approached by two white males. One of them called her a racial slur, punched her in the face three times, then sprinted south here down Broadway. Now, Denver police say they're not yet ready to call this a hate crime, but Jacqueline disagrees. Yeah, I'm just swollen and sore. Jacqueline Fitzpatrick shows the aftermath of a disturbing attack. So I got stitches down here. There's a cut in the very bottom. Early Saturday morning. A 23-year-old Denver native and two friends were waiting for an Uber ride near Tennessee and Broadway after a night out with friends. Two white males approached them. And asked us to tell them something about black people. We just thought they were maybe trying to head on us. We didn't really know. Jacqueline says one of the males called her a racial slur. I stood up and was trying to like get them to go away and to get out of our faces. 
and that's when they hit me. She says she woke up to find her mouth and clothes covered in blood. Her friends called 911, and an ambulance took her to the ER. Two days and three stitches later, she has no doubt in her mind she was a victim of a hate crime. Because I was called a racial slur before I was hit in the face, and even when they approached us, they had something to say about my race. Jacqueline says she loves Denver, but the apparently random attack and other racial issues nationwide had made her reluctant to go out again. That I've lived here all my life, and I've never been afraid to be somewhere, do something because of my race. With everything that's going on, it's really scary. And as she recovers from a life-changing attack, Jacqueline says she wants justice. I just don't think you should get away with hitting a girl, running away, and calling people racial slurs. Now, Denver police tell me they're looking for surveillance video of the attack. The suspects are both described as being about five foot eight, white males. Um, the, the attacker has dark brown hair and a husky build. If you have any information in this case, you're being asked to call Denver police. We're live in Denver tonight. Tom Mustin, CBS 4 News. Thank you, Tom. Every nigger is a star. Every nigger is a star who will deny that you and I and every nigger is a star every nigger's a star every nigger's a star every nigger's a star yes every nigger is a star Every nigger's a star, a superstar, superstar. Every nigger's a star. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade, and for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Tuesday, excuse me, I'm all off Wednesday, Wednesday, August 5th, 2015, so I have been told. Uh, thanks everyone <clears throat> for tuning into the program, uh, and thanks all for hanging out while uh, Gus was out on vacation. Uh, we still uh, broadcasted, uh, we won this past weekend, and the book club, and all that, but <clears throat> it was uh, certainly a little different being on vacation, but... I am back, uh, all ready to go. I actually came back from vacation in a foul mood, so I am especially ready to roll and be productive and, and get right to it. It's been so many things uh, that have been happening. Uh, part of the nonsense around my vacation delayed uh, us being able to do today's program. We were supposed to do this uh, two weeks ago, but me being out gallivanting in the uh, summer fun messed things up. So definitely thanks to Pam for being patient as well. Uh, real quick before we get started, uh, thanks also to Mr. Scotty Reed, founder of the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, he hooked me up some great quotes. Uh, the article I'm writing on uh, white women jurors in the Jonathan Farrell trial uh, that started uh, well, I, technically, I guess it started last week when they were doing the jury selection, but the for real, for real trial started this week. Um, but he hooked me up with some great quotes and the report should be coming out uh, sometime this week. Right on uh, with that. <clears throat> the audio clip that you heard in the beginning uh, that took place last week in Denver. Really pretty black girl. Um, cannot emphasize that enough that 
yeah, video of this online. You can check it out. She's very young. Uh, it looks like, you know, early 20s. Um, but this is the sort of thing. This this incident of white terrorism is exactly why we wanted to do the program today. I can't even say we. Pam thought this would be uh, really timely uh, to discuss some of the one of the main things that we want to talk about today. And that's um, just trying to share this information uh, with younger black people, um, black people, maybe even that are confused. Maybe they're not younger, but they are a bit confused and <clears throat> just trying tactic strategies for trying to share some of this information so that more of us realize there is a war being waged against black people and we really need to be alert. We really need to be on guard uh, in terms of where we are, making sure that the environment that we're in, we're not putting ourselves in unnecessary danger and just having an accurate, adequate understanding of what it means to be white and understanding and being honest about the fact that black people have enemies. Those enemies are white. Uh, I can only emphasize uh, that what you heard in that clip that we started out with, that is not an isolated incident. Uh, I think Pam is going to share uh, one of the incidents that happened that's uh, a little bit closer to her neck of the woods, the Chicago area. And it's been tons of them. If you listen to the compensatory call in or if you check the news, this sort of thing is happening every day all over the world. Uh, children, uh, older black people, elderly black. This is everyday terrorism. And just for emphasis, again, while I was out on vacation, thankfully, I didn't go, uh, but I was taught. I think this is one of the first uh, little anecdotes uh, when my vacation started. I'm hanging out all non-white people. And I say, yeah, we went to a bar here in Seattle, a group of I think it was uh, I think it was like five people. Again, I was not there. Uh, five non-white people. We go to this bar. We're going to hang out, have a good time. It wasn't, you know, crazy, out of control, just regular scene. They get in and a group of white people, uh, I think it was like four or five of them, they come up and like, oh, my God, it's not enough white people in here. What are you all doing here? And they've been drinking. Of course, I've said that consistently. That is one of the worst possible combinations on the planet. Alcohol, white people. And it ends up the white people end up assaulting them and punching several folks. And same thing that you heard almost in the, uh, the sound clip that we started with. And I can only again emphasize, I don't think. Uh, that this is a coincidence. I think that this sort of thing is going to increase uh, where white people are just feeling excited, eager to maul and beat on black people. I hope I'm incorrect. But if that is true, then I definitely think that's something that we should be talking about and being very clear, very honest about, honest with our children, honest with any black people that we care about to see if we can do as much as possible to defend ourselves and uh, not make it easy for white people to harm and abuse us. That being said, our guest for today's program, one of our all-time favorites here at The Cow. She's been on for many, 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 many years. <laughs> Go back through the archives and uh, hear various discussions that we've had on a number of topics. Um, we talked about, I think, all of the books that uh, she and her co-authors have published with Trojan Horse Publications. Uh, Trojan Horse, Death of a Dark Nation. Black Love is a Revolutionary Act. The Interracial Con Game. The Beauty Con Game, uh, as well as her blogging effort, RacismWS.com. She has some great reports where she talked about uh, racism in the Chicago uh, school system, uh, reports uh, about the incident in Baltimore, the situation with Freddie Gray that we were talking about uh, earlier this year. Just lots of great information, a uh, lot of great work in getting all those sound clips uh, for Mr. Fuller as well. Just 
long track record of very constructive information and folks are always super excited uh, when she visits on the program the website again racismws.com racismws.com all of the books you can check out get more information there you can go to Amazon and get a book electronic or paper if you get one write a review (laughs) request that consistently write a review if you've already read any of the material you should write a review and even if you've heard her on the program discussing some of these books I think you should write a review very helpful and that's one small contribution to working against racism that we can all make Uh, real uh, privilege to have her on the program and again Thank her for being patient and rescheduling a couple times while Gus was out being silly. Uh, joining us once again, our guest, Pam. Uh, Pam, are you with us? Yes, I am. How are you? Uh, right poorly, but uh, always a hoot to have you on the program. <laughs> and again, I know folks are super excited to have you back with us. Um, I guess before that, even because I'm sure some people, this might be their first time. Anything uh, that you would like to share or tell folks about who you are and the work that you do for anybody? This might be their first time hearing from you. Um, well, um, you did a pretty good intro. Uh, I've been involved in the, in the writing and publishing of four books, and I've uh, been a guest on your show many times, and the, uh, have two blogs. One is basically uh, a collection of work by Mr. Neely Fuller, which I would highly suggest everyone check out, and that's Black Hole Files. Um, and the other blog is where I do most of my blogging, and that's uh, racismwf.com. And basically, I, I'm just trying to uh, – I've helped myself so much by participating that, you know, I feel almost like a student that's sitting in the class uh, with everybody else. So um, I'm still, you know, like most people, work in progress. You know, whenever I decide, you know, try to get a little um, – you know, like, full of myself, I had to remind myself, it wasn't so long ago that I was, uh, thought Clinton, President Clinton was a good guy. That wasn't so long ago. I voted for him twice. So, you know, it's, it's easy to, to lose track of that. And I always, uh, you know, suggest to people that, you know, uh, it's so easy to get frustrated with victims and so easy to get contemptuous of victims. And it happens to me all the time because sometimes you just want to scream. Because you're like, how can black people be so clueless? But in reality, we're really not that clueless. I think most of our behavior is, is guided by what we think will benefit us and also a great deal of fear. And I think at some deep level, we know who we're dealing with. We just don't understand how pieces all come together. But if we didn't know who we were dealing with, we wouldn't be afraid. So the fear is, to me, the most telling thing that black people understand a lot more than we, than we, than we act like we do or claim we do. Because you wouldn't, you know, I mean, the fear is there for a reason. Because you're only afraid of people that you think are dangerous. So if we can just get that intuitive knowledge out by doing these programs and writing books and blogs and stuff, we can get that intuitive to break through all that programming and try to get some sanity out of this. You know, so that's the whole purpose of me being involved, uh, you know, is what else am I going to do? I mean, I can't just... You know, you have to try to do something. Ashe, got to try to do what you can, all of us, all of us. Uh, RacismWS.com, the website again, RacismWS.com should be linked in the description. Uh, Definitely appreciate the humility as well. That's something I hope all of us are applying to our 
counter-racist code and keeping that in mind uh, as we uh, deal with uh, other victims of racism. Patience. Uh, before we get to some of the themes that we wanted to discuss this evening, uh, it is August. Um, just clicked and I had thought about it earlier in the year. Um, it's certainly a topic that we have had programs about. We've discussed, I think, one of the very first programs that we did when the cows came on the air uh, dealt with this matter. But uh, we are encroaching on the 10 year anniversary of Hurricane Katrina and all of the devastation around that event. Uh, the breach of the levees, uh, which some black residents suspected uh, was done deliberately, uh, some sort of uh, explosive. Uh, but we are coming up on the 10 year anniversary of all of that. Uh, I've just started seeing stories talking about all of this and some of the black people uh, that relocated, some of the black people that have returned and what New Orleans and the surrounding areas around the Gulf Coast, uh, what they look like now, 10 years on. Uh, I think that was one of the most important events, uh, certainly in this area of the world, uh, of the last hundred years, probably one of the most significant events that happened on the planet uh, in the last 25 years, I would say. Uh, a lot of people point to that as, as kind of a pivotal moment in terms of them understanding that as a black person, your life means nothing uh, because white people will stand back and watch a whole city of black people drown. So certainly one black person, any individual black person, your life can't mean that much. What thoughts, memories, reflections do you have on uh, all of the devastation and white supremacy that was on display 10 years ago with Hurricane Katrina? You know, the main thing that comes to mind is how quickly we forgot about it. How it just got pretty much, uh, I mean, less than a year later, we weren't even, a lot of people weren't even thinking of talking about it. And I do understand that, that people have lives and there's a lot of things that are happening all the time and you can't keep everything in the forefront of your mind. But if you ask, in my, in my view, at least in my experience, if you ask the average black person out here about Hurricane Katrina, it's almost like, oh, that happened a long time ago. Or there's no real, there's still no real outrage. There's, there's no sense of them having any sense of outrage. And maybe, you know, everybody's personality is different. But I think, I personally think black people as a group are so, we are so programmed by this constant TV and movie watching that we are, we have suppressed the natural instinct that we have. And Hurricane Katrina was a wake-up call. It was one of the most serious wake-up calls of the 21st century for black people. I mean, it was most, it probably was the most serious. Because like you said, look at all the people and how they were devastated. Look at the property that was stolen, property that generations of black people had owned. That property is now in white hands. Even after they tried to rebuild her, you know, uh, New Orleans, they, they trucked in illegal labor from south of the border and gave them the jobs. A lot of the people who lived there couldn't even get jobs helping to rebuild New Orleans. Um, you know, um, it just, some of the people have never returned. And it's just, uh, I just think it's something that we should never lose sight of. I mean, that was a wake-up call. I mean, even to the terminology, calling us refugees. Well, I tried to explain in my first book why they called us refugees. That's because we're not citizens. And if you look at how the 14th Amendment was never really ratified, and you'll see that the Dred Scott decision was never really overturned, 
it made sense to call us refugees. There's a lot of, see, to, to me, in the system of white supremacy, it may sound like a bunch of madness, but it really isn't. It's actually based on some form of logic. The victims don't understand what it's based on, but the people that perpetrated do. And Hurricane Katrina really revealed a lot of how the system functioned. How I think it's the Heritage Group or something, less than a week after the, after the uh, levees broke, they were down there planning what they were going to do with New Orleans. Some people, matter of fact, I truly believe, because I had a relative that used to live there years ago. She said they had blown up the levees in the past so it would not flood the French Quarter and would flood the Black Lower, lower Ninth Ward. And there are many people uh, who said that they heard explosions just before the levees broke. So this wasn't just a happenstance of Mother Nature. You know, this was by design uh, just on, to some level. So I just think Hurricane Katrina should be something that black people should never, uh, should never uh, lose sight of. You know, you don't have to live with it every day. You don't have to have a shrine to it, but you should never forget it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> way I can go ahead and put my call out now, any of our listeners, because I know we do have listeners in the Louisiana area and others. It wasn't just Louisiana that had a lot of damage uh, and loss of life around all of uh, everything that happened around Hurricane Katrina and the breach of the levees. But any of our listeners, uh, if you are a resident or have connections to that area, if you were there uh, during all of that or uh, just have things that you would like to share on all of that. Let me know. Uh, I'm hoping this is something that we'll be uh, covering and doing programs on uh, quite a bit over the next uh, month or so. We've done programs before, but we definitely should be uh, doing more. And I, I definitely I think that's something that black people uh, should uh, never uh, forget. I, that's that is a great counter racist lesson right there, because there's so many different things uh, that happened uh, and just uh, quick ones. In fact, if you want to talk about police terrorism, because I think that got totally swept away immediately um they had all that talking refugees that was one as pam just pointed out and looters that was it was looters and they're raping babies that was what they kept so that was almost in my opinion the justification of course we don't have to help these niggers they're loot look at them they're on television looting. that was all looters 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 right looting looting and they're raping babies and then they found out later that oh well maybe maybe we got that wrong maybe they weren't raping babies when the police had to come out and other folks saying that there was no evidence of this and maybe we messed up on that maybe we were just spreading uh, unsubstantiated rumors uh, but one of the things that did happen and was substantiated is that there were at least 11 black people that were killed uh, in the aftermath of Katrina and you have video footage of white people bragging about killing black people most of them unarmed some of them they didn't even know what was going on they were trying to flee and get help they weren't looting they weren't doing anything wrong no criminal activity and white people just started shooting at them oh black person bam taking a bend. i mean this is documented they have some of the people that survived this who told their story some of this is in some of the spike lee documentaries that he's done on all of this and some of the police shootings uh the danzinger bridge police shooting and some of those other incidents where they did convict some of those officers and then they waited some of this stuff happened last year and two years ago where they overturned those corrections and some of those officers who shot and killed unarmed black people got their jobs back and got back pay for all of the time that they had been off the job i mean it's just atrocious lesson lessons on what white terror is and the value or lack thereof of black life all over Katrina. And I can just add another quick one. 
Uh, unfortunately, I was a lot more confused about racism when Katrina happened and I was outside the continental United States. I was not checking the news and just was woefully uninformed when all of this was happening. And so people were I was bumping into people from different parts of the world. Everybody was talking about Katrina at that time and they were asking, well, what's going on? And why are they raping baby? You got people. I'm bumping into people from Ireland, people from Iraq, all over the world and what they're saying. Why are the black people raping babies? Why are they raping everyone in the Superman? And I was so ignorant. I didn't even have proper information to say that is a lie. This is what happens in the system of white supremacy. But at least thankfully, hopefully (laughs) we're in a better position now. And I would say that's better uh, recommendation or reason why it's so important to check the news and to be informed about things because uh, racism, white supremacy is happening all the time. Information is one thing that we can use to combat that. But more on Hurricane Katrina to come for the month. Definitely, uh, you can chime in if you have commentary on that as we proceed this month. Back to uh, the main theme, which is not unconnected. Uh, the main theme of this program in terms of, of being prepared and understanding why these type of things keep happening. Um, we started with the audio clip about the young black female in Denver who was assaulted, terrorized uh, by this white duo. You Uh, mentioned a similar incident that happened in Illinois about, I think about two months ago, where it was a young black female. Uh, She was with her brother, I believe, and they also were assaulted uh, by a white duo or a a group of of white people that I think they had been cool with. Like they were hanging out and everything was cool. And then it went from zero to terrorism in about 10 seconds. Just uh, if you want to give a quick refresher on that incident and what you think that incident reveals, why that incident is important for us to consider. Well, uh, it, it was a while ago, but the, what I do remember about it was it happened over in an area called Canaryville, which I believe is pretty much the same as Bridgeport. And Bridgeport is an infamous area uh, of Irish Americans, uh, perhaps a few other ethnicities, white ethnicities sprinkled in. But it's, it was it's a known, it's, it's, it has a reputation of, black, of terrorism against black people. Black people can't live there. You you risk your safety even going, you know, walking through there. Now, if you're going someplace like the White Sox Park or something, someplace where it's obvious in the daytime that you are doing something that is putting money in white people's pockets, you might be tolerated through certain areas of it, certain things. But you don't want to, you're definitely not going to walk through the neighborhoods. Anyway, I don't know what these young black male and female were doing. I don't know what they were doing over there in Canaryville. But again, our children are not being told anything that is going to help them. We have to tell them more than eat your spinach and get an education and go into college debt for $70,000, $80,000. We've got to do a better job of telling our children what they need to know. And we're not telling them. So they go out here, they watch television, they watch the movies, and black people are accepted. Black people on TV and movies have friends. Or they go to a high school or maybe a college, and maybe they have a couple of white buddies that they hang out with. So they don't have any reservations about talking or associating with strange white people. From what I understand, I don't think they knew these white people very well, the ones they were talking to. It was early in the morning, I think it was like 2 or 3 in the morning, and I, probably they all been drinking, perhaps. Anyway, this other group of white people come up while this, these black male and female brother and sister were talking to, these, to a certain group of white people. Then some other white people came up. 
those white people, two of them got into a beef with the group that was already there. Of course, the black person tries to intervene, you know, because we've got to be the peacemaker when white folks are fussing. And they, I don't know who jumped on them, but a bunch of them jumped on him. And they obviously were trying, and then the sister jumped in because they were jumping on her brother. And they were trying to kill him, I believe, because I believe she had something jammed into her skull. Uh, some object, you know, some sharp object jammed to her skull. I don't know if it was a knife or whatever. So however that fight went off, there was intent to do serious bodily harm, perhaps, perhaps even killed him. Um, and so they wound up in the hospital, which, of course, we know, those of us that grew up in Chicago, we know the police, the Irish police, Irish police force, Italian police force is not going to investigate what some people in Canaryville did to some black folks that shouldn't have been there to begin with. So I'm sure that's the end of that. I don't expect anybody, any investigation to take place. I don't expect anybody to be apprehended. Nobody's going to be charged, and nobody's going to jail. So, but unfortunately, this is repeated over and over again, this experience. This experience is being repeated by young people. Why? Because black people, adults, we encourage it. We're thrilled when Johnny brings a white friend home. We're thrilled when Sally is invited to join a white sorority. So what are our kids supposed to think? You know, so it's, it's imperative, I believe, in the, particularly in the coming future, it's imperative that black young people and black older people understand that times are a-changing and not a-changing for the better. There's going to be more aggressiveness because the economy is going to become more fragile. And I don't even want to talk about that. I mean, I can talk about that all day. But we've got to understand that the mood of the country is actually becoming more clear. White people are really being, getting these, these rallying cries that it's business as usual, that black people are the problem that black people are the thorn in your side. Well, look at the man in the White House. All our problems are caused by him. And white people know that's not true, but it doesn't matter. You know, so what I'm saying is Obama was, to me, was put in office specifically only for that particular reason, was to be the lightning rod for white rage and frustration because the people in power knew where they were taking this economy. And they had to find a scapegoat for it. So I don't want to get off into all that. I'm just saying that we've got to do a much better job because young black people, a lot of young black people are being killed and murdered and beat and raped because they go in not knowing that they're putting themselves in danger by associating with white people who are drinking, with white people in strange areas, with strange white people. They're putting themselves in danger. Sorry, I mean, it's so long-winded, but... No apologies necessary. Context of white supremacy. Pam, joining us once again. Uh, uh, I feel obligated to uh, reference Dr. Kamau Kanban. Uh, he's been on the program repeatedly. Visit his site, kamaukanban.org. Uh, but he has said repeatedly, and I think he said it in some of his visits on the program, uh, if... You're a black person and you are out at night and it's after 11 o'clock or so 
you're not, you know, you don't have a job that requires you to be out or, you know, a task, an errand or what have you, where you got to pick up, pick up somebody or, or do something that's, you know, business related and, and then get back to wherever you got to go. Uh, but he said, just, you know, hanging out, you're just out having fun, riding around, what have you. Uh, after 11 o'clock at night as a black person, uh, the probability of you having difficulties, trouble has increased dramatically uh, just being out. He said, you already know police are going to be out. Greater likelihood of you being pulled over, stopped. And of course, we had justification to stop and molest you because you could have been drinking or on drugs or a rapist or all of the above. Uh, and I think the same thing would definitely apply if not magnified by 20 times uh, if you're out you're hanging with white people you're in an environment even if they're not in your crew per se but you're just in an environment like a bar or someplace else where white people are present you're really putting yourself in a position where things could go bad and I mean could go bad quickly uh, as so many of these incidents things were fine uh, if, if the black people were with these white people and these were their friends or were hanging out or they were just in this environment and other white people happened to be there things were fine we were all going, you know, having a blast, talking it up, doing our thing. And then something was said, a look, anything. And all of a sudden, war has broken out. And I mean, it ends up having life altering consequences. Uh, just that piece uh, that she was talking about, the incident that happened in uh, Chicago. Was, we talked about it on the program before it happened, uh, as, as I said, just a couple months back, just to, to give some of the clarification, right? And, and I'm doing this also because one of the victims, uh, Christina Fox, is the black female. She said, uh, she did a follow-up and she said that she felt that their, uh, their abuse, them being terrorized, her and her brother, was being purposely minimized and underreported because they did not want to talk about the white supremacy in this incident. Uh, but she says, this is uh, her written testimony, she says on the morning of uh, May 30th, my little brother Marcus, my daughter's father, Darius Walton, and myself were sitting in Taylor Lardson Park conversing with three white people we had just met. Mm. Everyone was having a nice time. Approximately seven to nine more white people arrived in the park. My little brother, being the social butterfly he is, introduced himself and began chatting with the new arrivals. After about 30 minutes, one of the guys out of the group we initially met and another from the group that arrived later got into a verbal altercation with each other. My little brother tried to calm things down, but this soon escalated as everyone began jumping on him. Now, just rewinding. Now, this started with a white person having an argument with another white person. Somehow, everyone jumps on the black person who came in to try to calm things down. Continuing. My, <clears throat> it was at this point things turned for the worse as he and I fought this massive group of white people consisting of both men and women. I think that's another one important too because frequently white women get left out of this equation as though they are not terrorists, not racist. They were throwing glass bottles, crutches, bricks, and anything else they could find at us. As we continued to fight through this crowd of assailants to get away, more whites came out of nowhere and joined in brutally attacking us, delivering closed fist blows and kicks to our bodies and head. We began to fight for our lives. This mob of around 20 whites beat us until we were unable to move and left us laying in the park. My brother and I sustained multiple injuries. I was stabbed 11 times, eight in the back and right shoulder twice in the face and once in the head which the knife was left lodged by one of the perpetrators my brother was stabbed nine times along his back the right side 
with one of the wounds causing him to have a punctured lung. No arrests have been made, and the only publicity this received was an irresponsibly written 97-word article in the Chicago Sun-Times riddled with inaccurate information. If the roles were reversed, and had this been a mob of African Americans attacking two whites, this would have garnered immediate attention and been plastered everywhere. I will stop there. They do have photographs so you can see some of the uh, different injuries and what have you. They have video of news uh, outlets talking to them and what have you. Uh, when you get an, an incident like this or the first one or any, as I said, th these are not isolated. You can just check the news and you'll find tons of these type of events on a weekly basis, I would say. Uh, when you get an event like this, um, just in your experience, if you try to share this with other black people who might be a little bit more confused, younger black people, older black people, how do they respond? Do they understand that this could easily happen to them in the drop of a dime? You know, I don't, that's a good question. I think we have, the typical reaction is, you know, wow, that's crazy, that's this and that. Uh, it, as far as them identifying with it, I think that it's rad all over, all, all day long. Racism, avoidance, sin, what is it? Racism, avoidance, I forget what that stood for. Disorder. Uh, you, disorder, right. And I think that for the most part, we're detached, uh, psychologically detached from the, the, the real sense that this could happen to us. Probably what the comments would get, well, what were they doing over there? Um, you know, you know not to go over in Canaryville. Uh, why would they have drinking over there at 3 in the morning, blah, 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 blah. So I think it just has a tendency, the same thing that used to happen with rape victims and probably still does, and that is, so I can pretend to myself that I'll never be raped. They said, like, female jurors were the hardest to win over when it came to a rape trial that they really didn't identify with the, rape, the female rape victim because of that denial of wanting to think this could happen to me. So I think a lot of responses that I would have gotten would have been along that line of, well, why were they over there? You know, it would have been, oh, that's terrible, that's terrible, you know. And then there would have been a thing of not really dealing with the real issue of, who, of what white people are doing, but dealing with the issue of what black people shouldn't be doing, what black people shouldn't go, what black people should do. It will wind up defaulting to that, I believe. Because we don't really want to tangle with white people. Let's be clear. We really don't want to tangle with white people. They are scary. They are scary. Um, yeah, that I've noted that, that uh, tendency as well. Uh, the victim blaming uh, or, or finding some way to be angry uh, with the victims as opposed to saying no identifying them as such they were victims uh and yes maybe there are things that you know all of us could do better hopefully that's one of the goals of this program there are things that we could all do better if we have a better understanding about what we're dealing with to try to minimize the likelihood of these types of things happening but regardless of all that it should be very clear who is to blame who is responsible and that is always 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 white people mm. um i think too with a situation like this, I think it can be difficult. Uh, the RAD, as you mentioned, racism avoidance disorder, non-Mighty Wicks term. Um, I think it can be challenging to accept the truth that 
yes, we are in a system of white terrorism. And yes, something like this could happen to me or my husband or my wife or my children or other black people that I care about. And it's probably not a whole lot that I could do. And these were not the police since that's where the, the focus has been. These were not white Chicago police officers. These are just regular old white citizens, terrorists. Um, but I think that fear aspect and, and just acknowledging how weak and vulnerable we are in a system of white supremacy, I think that makes it difficult for a lot of people to, to accurately understand all of this. Um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, the fear, I think, is the largest component. I think, I think the fear goes hand in hand with the dependency, the helplessness. They've got a, a syndrome called helpless. I, I believe it's a, some kind of psychological study they did on how when you, they took some dogs and the dogs were unable to escape the shocks. And even when they free, you know, even when the dogs were no longer restrained, they still sat there and took the shocks and whimpered because they had been programmed to think they can't avoid the shocks. So I think black people, any people who've been subjected to terror for 500 years and who find no way out of the cage, uh, I think our dependency is probably one of the biggest factors second after fear. And that is, even if I get angry, even if I decide I don't want anything to do with white people, how do I survive? How do I live? Everything that I know, everything that I have, everything that I want to do has to come through them. If I want a new house, hey, if I want a car loan, if I want a, uh, all the things that we've been taught are important, material things, where do material things come from? Where do food, clothing, shelter, electricity, transportation, and all that come from? Insurance. So they made sure that we stay dependent. Every time we've tried to form any sense of independence, they have squashed it like a bug because they knew that that would be the linchpin in keeping us, no matter how they treated us, that dependency would keep us locked into having to justify their behavior, having to justify our interaction with them, and having to find a way to stay in denial just to survive psychologically and materially. So I think the fear and, and the absolute utter dependency that black people have on this system just for survival is going to make it very, very difficult to overcome this slavery syndrome, mental syndrome that we have. You know, but uh, I believe that if we don't change, at this point, the only thing we can do is change ourselves to however extent we can change ourselves. I mean, it's either that or just accept the coming future. And I don't think any of us are going to like that. So I feel like it's at the time now where we got to really change what we think saying. We really don't have a choice. Our backs are getting flattened against the wall. People can keep kidding themselves about these houses and cars and degrees or whatever you think you've got going for yourself. All that can be ripped away from you in a second. And some people say it's too harsh. Well, I don't care. There's no use in self-peddling what we all see in front of us. And I'm just saying, I don't think we have an alternative right now but to really look and decide how we're going to change, to stop all this black bashing, to stop all this anti-blackness. This is nothing but suicide. This is suicidal. And so I think it's reaching a point where this is imperative. We got to stop. We got to stop playing games. But at the same time, 
you know, it's, it's easier said than done, but um, I don't know. I just think if nothing else that we can do, we certainly have had a lifetime of experience dealing with white people and dealing with this system. We ought to be able to share something with our children that's of some use. We ought to be able to tell them something that they can take with them. You, you don't have to have education to do that. I mean, we had just got to at least make an attempt to give our children some useful information. Ashe. Context of white supremacy. Um, I can uh, I can add quickly uh, just the vacation. In fact, I can connect my uh, most recent vacations uh previously when i went on vacation i told folks i spoke with a black male during the interim i had my t-shirt on and he told me it was a young black child right on our conversation today when i say young black child he was uh like 16 and the black male that i was talking to he was a teacher and he said that this young black male he had white friends and two huge errors so he had white friends that's one and then he and his white friends got together and were consuming alcohol and other intoxicants. That's what young people do, I understand. But white people, alcohol, you are playing Russian roulette. Anyway, so he and his white friends, uh, they go to a house party where it's basically all white people. Black male goes in. The white people start practicing racism, abusing him, beating him up. Unfortunately, because they started with the alcohol and this is a younger person, so he doesn't have a lot of, you know, experience consuming all this and a tolerance and everything. He was so intoxicated that he could not clearly articulate what was happening, nor could he efficiently flee from this, again, mob of white people. So he just got abused and it ended up having a really traumatic effect on it. I mean, this is a, a child. This is a 16 year old ended up having a wow traumatic effect on him he became really isolated he had problems going out he didn't want to be around anybody he didn't want to go to social functions uh, because he had just been traumatized and I say all of this this happened before right this is when I went on vacation before when I went on vacation most recently I bumped into this black educator again and I said well I don't think I had even seen him since I was on vacation before and I said man do you remember? And I started telling him, he was like, oh, yeah, he I got that. I was trying to verify that I remembered the details because it had been a while. And he was like, yep, that's the detail. That's what happened. And he said, man, that he said just the times that I've seen him since that happened, it had a huge impact on him. He said he said it, it just it really um, totally blocked him from being able to go out and view a social situation like I'm just going to go out and have fun in this group like forget it I don't even want to go outside I'm staying in the house uh, he said that it, it just had such a devastating impact uh, on him and I can I can only say and I think I said this while we were talking about this over the break I was saying you gotta talk to your children about racism uh, just for a myriad of reasons you've got to be having those conversations hopefully everything that's happened in the last year with all of the death and suffering and misery if anything hopefully it might make that conversation a little better because I'm sure younger black people have been seeing all this and tweeting about it a lot of them they've been actively involved in a lot of the protests and things that have been going on but you have got to talk with your children so that they have the language to understand what's happening so that they can defend themselves and hopefully make better decisions so they don't end up in these type of incidents to begin with. But got to talk with your children about racism. Um, 
kind of in that same vein, just about the the dis, the mental health toll, right? Because that's with this young uh, black male, the mental health toll that all of this thinks. And I know Blackie always talks about depression and the sadness that is lingering uh, and how that is a big part of all this as well. You shared, I thought, a really profound incident uh, with one of your family members who had natural hair and was accosted. Just can you talk about that incident and and, and what you think the, the mental health ramifications were for your family member? Well, um, she went to the airport. She's a, she's a woman in her 60s. She went to the airport. She was coming back from some conference. I'm not really sure. And, uh, I mean, if you see her, I mean, there's no way in the world you could think that she was going to do anybody any harm. And she was uh, stopped by TSA for 20 minutes. They examined her hair. Now, she doesn't have a big afro. She doesn't have big dreadlocks or anything, any kind of way that anything can hide. She's got kind of almost like braids, like twists. There's nowhere to hide anything. And they examined her hair. They examined her body, examined her possessions. And naturally, it, very, it upset her. And she said she was in tears. And uh, unfortunately, making a stink at the TSA checkpoint is probably not a good idea. Because if you think you're traumatized now, you're really going to be traumatized. So it's a catch-22. You know, uh, you don't really want to give these people a reason to really detain you. So she had to endure it. And, of course, it, 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 it's, it's a soul-scarring experience to think that you have lived your life uh, as a so-called decent model citizen. You know, you've not been criminal. You've educated, you know, even to the point of, of, of teaching in college. You, you've raised your family. you raised your children. You've basically been the person, been what people said you should have been. And then at the age of 60-something, here you are going through an airport, just a simple, going through a simple checkpoint, and you'd be pulled over and treated like a criminal, like a quote-unquote potential terrorist. Uh, what does that say about what, what everything else means? And there is one other thing, too. She is married to a white male. And so um, I think that makes the burden twice as hard because what do, you, what do you do with those feelings? Well, you suppress them. And that is the danger. <laughs> That's the danger of having sex with white people. There's no way you can tell me you're going to have a normal reaction to racial oppression when you're sleeping with a white person. You can't. Yeah, I think it's a physical impossibility. I know people, they, they think they can circumvent it by having honest conversations, and they're dealing with a white person who understands racism, and they can sit down and they can have conversations. Oh, we talk about racism. Oh, I don't care what you talk about. The reality is you are basically got a foot in each camp. You cannot, in my opinion, have a sexual relationship with a white person and have a normal reaction to racism. I just totally disagree that those two things can inhabit the same body or the same mind. So naturally, when I suggested, made a comment about what she told me, she has not responded yet. And I know why she hasn't responded, because she doesn't really want to think about the fact it happened to her because she's black. Now, she knows she's black, and I'm sure she knows on some level it happened because she was black, but she doesn't want to address it with a person like myself, not because she knows what I'd say, but because she doesn't really want to deal with it in a raw sense, she wants to cover it up like she's been doing all her life, covering up her emotions about racism. So I think the psychological impact 
Yeah, I'm a firm believer. Listen, I think it's a scary situation. I think it's a scary planet. I think it's a scary world. I certainly don't deal with every situation correctly. I don't only pretend that that's the truth. But I will tell you one thing is whether it's a personal relationship or the system, you are always better off when you tell yourself the truth. There is no, I mean, the truth is liberating. You might not come up with a solution, but I'll tell you this, you will always be stronger when you tell the truth. Because in reality, for us to tell the truth about our oppression, it's not an indictment of us. It's an indictment of them. It's an indictment of our oppressors. You know, it's the same thing Mr. Fuller said about the word nigger. And some people get upset when the word nigger is used on this program. Well, you just have to be upset. The word nigger is not an indictment of black people. It's an indictment of the people that created the conditions that create niggers, that have made people into niggers. And niggers just means, according to Mr. Fuller, a victim of oppression. And I, I'm paraphrasing him. I'm not sure exactly if that's exactly what he said, but I believe that's what he said. It's a victim of oppression. So we have to embrace the truth, not because it, the truth shouldn't shame us. We're not the perpetrators here. We're the victims here. So we should be telling the truth. When people mistreat you because you're black, it's not an indictment of you. It's not because you didn't wear nice enough clothes, you're not a nice enough person, you don't speak good enough English, and you don't have enough degrees. That's not why you're being mistreated. You're being mistreated because of people who have moral and mental and psychological problems, and they want to maintain a system of oppression. So we shouldn't be hiding from the truth. We have to teach our kids not to hide from the truth. It is nothing to be ashamed of that, you, that your ancestors were slaves. It's nothing to be ashamed of that people call you nigger. It's nothing to be ashamed of that people mistreat you because you're black. That's an indictment of them. It's not an indictment of you. And I think if you approach it that way with your children, your children won't be ashamed when they run into racism. They won't blame themselves. They will look at the perpetrator and say, this is the person with the problem, not me. And I think we have to do it in a way that makes the children stronger, stronger. And that's telling them the truth. There are people out here that will hurt you for no other reason than you are not white. And that is not an indictment of not being white. That's an indictment of being white. Context of white supremacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just, I guess just to, uh, to really hit on this, and I think it's important for so many reasons because uh, the damage that white people do to our psyche, I think that's part of the reason when Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, when she says that black people do not qualify for mental health, uh, the type of incidents the abuse and humiliation that white people subject us to. And I mean, deliberately subject us to just for kicks, just because they enjoy it. That incident with your sister. And I mean, that's documented that that's systemic, that white people do this. Uh, they hammer. If you're a black female and you got natural hair. You are fitting to get it uh, in the workplace, uh, at the airport line, wherever else. Uh, they even had that report earlier this year where they were talking about how TSA was harassing uh, all of those black females. Uh, that was just, I think, in the spring uh, for folks who uh, are listening in and recall. You can Google it and check it. But I would I put a sizable stack of dough. on that. that was early this year that that report came out. But when you talked about your and that's why I say patience, I think in our justified fury about the abuse and terrorism that is heaped on black people worldwide, I think sometimes 
and just in our, we're all victimized. Me at the top of the list, we're all victimized. In our victimized state, I think it is, it can be challenging for us to have that patience and empathy with other black people to even recognize that when we get tr- uh, mistreated, some of us might get sad about that. Some of us might even be depressed about that, that that's human nature to feel bad when you are mistreated. And when you talked about your sister being so upset about that, um, just if, if you can, can share some views on, on just further how that damages us, how that keeps us from combating this system, because one of the results of mistreatment can be depression. Not that you get angry and want to fight back, but that you end up feeling sad about being mistreated. And, and that, I'm not saying that that anybody that that means that you're a weak person. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that white people know that is human nature. You have some people. You mistreat them, they're going to fight back. They're going to put their life on the line to see that that never happens again. And you have some people, they will totally shut down. And that does happen to a lot of black people. I'm not saying that that's what happened to Sandra Bland, but it absolutely does happen to black people. Uh, Can you give us your thoughts? If I'm talking uh, crazy, definitely set me straight. But can you give us your thoughts, Pam? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't. I didn't understand the question. What are the thoughts on just the de- in terms of how when things happen, like what happened with your sister, and you talked about how sad that that made her. That's part of the design of racism, or at least that's what I'm saying. Is that logical? And just in terms of how us being sad or depressed, how that can end up impairing us from fighting against racism. If you think that hap- if you think uh, that happens, if you can respond to that. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's it, it definitely. I mean, the the fight it 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 does. It, it's it psychologically impairs you. I mean, even those of us that are talking about it now and and who feel that we have some understanding of the system, look at the damage it does to us. I mean, I, I realize that it's it's done some damage to me because it's a very stressful thing to be in, to be constantly involved with, whether it's writing about it whether it's blogging about it, whether it's trying to stay up on on events, you know, whether it's you holding the programs, you have to have some emotional feeling about it. And I think that's one reason why a lot of us don't want to deal with it. I totally get it. I totally get it. There are things that I still don't want to watch. Um, you know, there's some things I still don't like to look at. You know, so I totally, I, I, I think that this, the, the catastrophic damage that's been done to us is uh, I think it's the greatest crime that has ever been committed in in known human history is the crime that has been committed against the people that, like the people of African descent in this particular country who have been subjected to a system of white domination and enslavement because people all over the world are being horribly mistreated, but they did not come through this particular system of enslavement, and this system basically stripped us of everything. We don't even have our names. We're calling ourselves the names of our slave owners. And so everything that makes a people a people was taken from us, everything. So, and then put in this place was a belief system, false belief system, false religion, false eating, dietary uh, preferences, um, false worship of holidays that mean nothing to us. Thanksgiving, really? 
That's when they celebrated slaughtering the Indians. Halloween, what is that? Uh, Christmas, made up, fantasy. This has nothing to do with the birth of Christ. I mean, Easter, so you go and buy Easter eggs and you dress up in, in clothes to go to church. So I'm just saying our whole value system has been totally wiped out and replaced with a fraudulent one, where light skin is better than dark skin, straight hair is better than, 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 than kinky or curly hair. Everything that makes us people proud and self-respecting was taken from us. And it's a miracle that we still managed to replace some of those losses with some real, uh, with some sense of self. I mean, I think African-American people, and I don't like the word African-American. I think people of African descent who currently live in America who descended from uh, 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 slavery, I think really all in all, we're some amazing people because who could go through this and still wind up still having some positives, still having some sense of self, despite the fact we were robbed of our original selves. We still have some sense of self. We still have something in us that is so threatening that they have to keep attacking it. I don't believe they'd be attacking us for no reason. I don't think they're just attacking us because we're darker. I believe they're attacking us because they know what we don't know. And I can't really speak clearly on what exactly that is because I don't know it. But I think that overall we are some people with amazing resilience. Now, if we could couple that resilience with some intelligence and with some understanding, because intelligence doesn't have anything to do with a book. It has to do with the fact, how do you take the events that you see, the external stimulus, and how do you interpret it so that it's logical? That's what I think of as intelligence. I've seen homeless people that are more intelligent than people with college degrees. So I don't consider intelligence something that you're born with. I mean, in other words, I don't believe, I believe it's something that's in you, but it's something you have to develop. And we could take that resilience and that creativity and couple it with knowledge. I don't know what we could do. But um, well, I, I, I think that, unfortunately, they have convinced us, whether we admit it or not, that we can't be free of this oppression and that there is something wrong with us. I think they've convinced us there's something wrong with black people. And I think when you get confirmations of that, it's just one pile on top of a lifetime of boulders and rocks that have been thrown at you and laid on top of you. And um, maybe I didn't get a response back from that because she's still trying to cope with it. Maybe she didn't respond because she's still trying to deal with it. But it's very funny to me to think of her crying in public. That makes me angry. I don't know how what her process is. Mm. Context of white supremacy. Um, and I would just, you know, even thinking of that, uh, I feel like I have seen a lot of black people crying in public over the last two years. I feel like it's almost a daily occurrence uh, where I'm seeing uh, a black mother, a black father, a black sibling crying uh, about what has happened to them and or what has happened to someone who is no longer here that they care about as a result of white terrorism. Uh, if folks have uh, questions, things uh, they would like to share, 
questions. Uh, if anything has not been clear, if Gus has been talking crazy, or if you just want to get clarification or just want to hear Pam's, uh, Pam's view uh, on some of the things we have been discussing, uh, you can feel free to chime in. The number to dial is 760-569-7676. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate right on I have one more question Uh, I'll get into Pam but just uh, being truthful because I feel like that's so important and I feel like we 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 really minimize uh, how damaging uh, the system of white supremacy is and I mean how much damage it does to everyone we we minimize that so much Uh, I was out on vacation (laughs) lengthy uh, vacation uh, but during that process, we, uh, I was hanging out, all non-white people, thankfully. Didn't have to be around any white people. Uh, but I'm processing, right, because we were having, I think, dinner. And I stopped. I sit back to think we, I think, had dinner together every day uh, with, you know, a pretty sizable group of non-white people uh, for weeks. And I was like, wow, that is crazy. And I said, uh when was the last time that I had a meal with another person? Just one. Now I'm having meals regularly with large numbers of people, eight, nine people, non-white people. Uh, and I was like, when was the last time I had a meal with another person? I could not think of a time this year. I was like, wow, this is the first time I've had a meal with another person this year. It was even crazier because I stopped to just think when the last time was period I couldn't think of a time last year at all. And I still haven't thought of a time last year that I had one meal with one person, not one. And I was like, wow, if that is true. And I guess it could be because I still haven't, uh, I still haven't thought of one. Uh, I was like, wow, they even let prisoners <laughs> they get to eat with, uh, with other prisoners. Like, wow, that is uh that is wild. But I was like, that is no conflict no contact (laughs) like uh i am perfectly comfortable being by myself i know that's not what it's supposed to be because people want to be social and hang out and have fun and that is great i did that (laughs) vacation that is great i know it's oodles of fun if you have people and it's not uh into conflict and all the other nonsense that frequently happens in a system of white supremacy but just the environment is so toxic uh, that I know for a lot of people, they really struggle <laughs> being able to have that constructive contact. And particularly if you are a little bit less confused and you have an interest in wanting to speak about racism and to talk about oh. racism. <laughs> if you want to talk about racism and especially if you don't want to talk about white privilege. You don't want to talk about white privilege. You don't want to talk about how cool Tim Wise is. You don't want to talk about uh, any of these other white people, uh, Bernie Sanders or the Young Turk, any of these other white people, Robin D'Angelo, that, you know, alleged to be cool and they're down and the white people that you met at the Black Lives Matter protest and all of that. No, you want to talk and say, hey, I think all of these white people are racist. I don't think we should be having sex with them. I don't care if it's their children, their grandmothers, all of them. Are su- that's the way that you want to talk? Oh, man. <laughs> you are fitting to be eaten alone for a long time. <laughs> like, uh, did you have uh, a comment that you wanted to share, Pam? 
Oh, my goodness. You know, I mean, it, it, it's very difficult. So, I mean, I'm sitting there listening to you, and I totally relate to that. And that is, I am, I'm at the point where I guess some could say I'm almost antisocial. By antisocial, I just mean that I don't do a lot of socializing. I just don't see the point of it. Now, I'm not saying other people shouldn't. I'm not saying that. I mean, I, I have a lot of stuff I'm working on, so that's part of the reason. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's very difficult when you're sitting in a group of people and they're all saying things that you totally disagree with. They're talking about the presidency, the president, Mrs. Obama. They're talking about Republicans versus Democrats. They're talking about the TV show and how that's a really good show. And well, all these different things they're talking about, and they're talking about, well, you know, all white people are this and that and this and that, and, you know, black people can be racist too. When you're hearing all these, and then they're talking about religion, and they're telling you you should come to church with them, and then you can't really just say, of course you could, but you kind of depend on whether you want to ever speak to them again. It's hard for you to say, well, you know what, I just can't roll with a slave religion. I can't roll with the religion that the slave master taught the slaves to keep us submissive. Well, that's not going to go well with your religious relatives and friends. So it limits severely the stuff that you can talk about. I have a problem when I have to talk to people and I can't voice an honest opinion. It doesn't mean I have to run my mouth and say everything I think. It just means that if you are talking and you're giving your opinion, I want to be able to give my opinion. And you'll find that it's, not, it's a waste of time, that it goes soup. Or if they do understand what you're saying or, and even agree with it, it's a waste of time because the next time you see them, it's like you never said it. So I just find that, um, and then the way that black people, at least in my experience, live in a big urban area, which is understandable, there's a lot of conflict. Oh, my God. It is insane, the level of nonsensical conflict, things that make no sense, things that you just can't, you can't even wrap your head around, the behavior. So now what kind of contact could you have when people are looking for a fight, when they're looking for conflict? So I just find it's just better for me personally to limit my contact, and even with the people that I do stay in contact with, to limit that. In other words, you know, I mean, I just was listening to you, and I was like, you know, it, it doesn't seem, it seems to be counter, counter contradictory of what we're talking about, and that's black people coming together. And so I said, well, I'm sitting here telling black people to come together, but I don't want to come together with them because <laughs> I don't want to be all this social. So it's a delivery for me. Am I doing the wrong thing? I mean, am I being a hypocrite, you know? But I do agree with Mr. Fuller when he says minimize conflict, minimize contact, minimize conflict. But how much is too much minimization? I don't know. Yeah, you have to you have to find a balance that's right for you. I was uh, not a nice person before all of this started, so this is just exacerbating things. But uh, you, know, you have to. <laughs> You have to find a balance for you. I, I would just say, and I think we've talked about this before, Pam and I, um, I am for let's come together to be very specific about what it is we're trying to accomplish and do that. And then once it deviates, then, you know, all right, peace out. We'll <laughs> catch everybody next time. I think that is effective, like just being very specific. Yeah. This is why we are coming together to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And this should take, you know, 30 minutes 
a year, mm-hmm. whatever the time frame is, and this is when we're going to get together, this is what we'll do, and as soon as that is done, whammo, we all <laughs> go our separate ways, everything is good, and as soon as this project is done, bam, we can all, everybody goes their separate ways, and then when it's time to work on something constructive again, let's get together when <laughs> we do that. I think that can right. work, and I'm, to- I'm totally uh, down for that, and I've seen where that can work, but just like idle, hanging out type stuff, like, no, I don't... I don't encourage too much of that. Um, uh, I will save my question because I do see the folks dialed in. So I'll save my question. Um, the call, I think uh, M1, did you uh, have a question for Pam? Your line should be open. Yes, hi. Uh, hi. I just wanted to say my condolences to you know, to your loved one on what she experienced at the airport. That's why. Thank what, you. What what Amanda Sternberg said was so important to Kylie Jenner because Kylie Jenner will never go through what your sister went through. Mm-hmm. So, wow! You know, uh, and it's not just that. I mean, remember how remember how uh, black female soldiers had to fight just to uh, keep hairstyles. Now again, this mm-hmm. is supposed to be this is supposed to be the country where we support the troops, right? So just remember that and just just let's tell all people like I said, just we just gotta make sure we tell people who will listen these things. One one other point. Uh you live in Illinois, uh were you aware of the Park Forest officer, Craig Taylor, that was on trial not too long ago? That doesn't ring a bell. Could you tell me some more about it? Okay. Uh, not long ago, uh, not long ago, there was an old white guy in a nursery, in a nursery home. He started going crazy. Cops were called. He he waved his cane around like a weapon, shoehorn like a weapon. Even had a knife. Resisted taser blast, and this black police officer Craig Taylor shot him with five beanbags. He ended up dying. Oh yeah. Oh, okay, and I remember that. Yeah, and my and as we discussed on this program, to no surprise, Craig Taylor was arrested, had to go to court and everything, unlike white mm-hmm. cops who killed black people. You know, he was acquitted of charges. I just wanted to know if he's back on the force. You know, um, that I'm not sure, but I do remember that he had to go to trial just like a criminal, and he did get acquitted. And I think just by the hair of his, you know, just, just barely scraped by with that. Um, but did he get reinstated? That's a good question. I would, I would be surprised if he did, but I'm not sure. Um, but that's something that's just worth looking into. I'll have to look and see if I see anything else about him. Um, All right, uh, that was yeah. it. Uh, 
Someone else, someone else can speak. Right on. Uh, just real quick uh, for folks who are not aware of what he was talking about with uh, Amanda Stenberg. That's the non-white female. Uh, I guess that'd be a cowbell too, because she does have a white parent. Anyway, she is non-white, but she was in The Hunger Games. Rue. Um, she, I think, at the beginning of the month. Uh, I think Caitlyn Jenner, she got cornrows and made some sort of tacky remark uh, when she posted the picture. And Amanda Stenberg uh, said that basically, to boil it all, it was a lot, but I'm paraphrasing. Basically, this is an act of racism for you to come out here and just steal uh, black hairstyles and appropriate uh, black female culture uh, and act like you're cool or what have you and you don't do anything to identify and support black people or to call out racism and all the abuse that black people have to go through uh, like Pam's sister you don't do any of that but you just want to come uh, and steal from us uh, and make this like you know a joke this is you having fun or what have you and people a lot of white people of course got upset with her and you know and fussed at her we played the clip I think uh, to Two, maybe three weeks ago, the Young Turks, where they were upset with her and saying she was Amanda Stenberg. They were upset with her and saying she was out of line and, you know, what's wrong with you and get off your soapbox type thing. Anywho, uh, the person that called in uh, last four digits, four, four, one, two, four, four, one, two. Did you have a question for Pam? Please, please. Greetings. Uh, Good morning. Greetings. Cool, cool. Um, kind of new to the program. I kind of went back and listened to all the archives. Uh, I'm familiar with some of the programs, Brother Bell did with uh, Pam. And uh, so I decided to actually call in tonight to listen. I'm off for work. And I just listened to the program. But let me ask you a question. Uh, either one can answer the question. Um, I grew up in an area that was predominantly black. Uh, never seen a white person unless, you know, I was outside of my community. Um, then now I reside in an area where through my son's mother, who is black, um, moved to an area where there's white folks around here. And I'm not used to that, never having any uh, white neighbors, anything, or white people in my vicinity, you know, such close proximity. I'm learning a lot from them in terms of their nature. I mean, they're real weird. Um, you know, everything that they say about us, loud, boisterous, that's you know, 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning, they're out here arguing, drunk as hell already. Um, just things, you know, I just never knew about white folks, never lived around white folks. But as it relates to the earlier part of the question, uh, you know, teaching my son about racism, white supremacy, um, Dr. Amos Wilson said, you know, when speaking to them, you have to, Teach it to them like you're speaking to a hat dog. Um, my concern is now, while teaching the child about racism, white supremacy, and also teaching the child their culture as a descendant of African people, you know, our ancestors and, you know, our, our, our modern heroes and sheroes, how do you go about doing it without having the child feel like and if there's any listeners that are experiencing this or that have experienced this, to not feel isolated to where they don't feel like they're being counter to the mainstream culture to look and say, well, that's not what I see. Because around here, it seems like a lot of the people around here, I mean, the the amount of interracial couple around here is beyond. It's, it's an epidemic. And the amount of biracial children around here is such an epidemic. 
they can create their own cities. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Uh, if y'all can answer the question for me, I'd really appreciate that. You know, just the method or tactic to go about where I can teach them, I will teach them about racism, but also to, to not have them look at it, to not be so extreme with it, if that's the correct word, to where he doesn't feel like he's being counter to what quote-unquote is called mainstream culture. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, there's no one. Uh, you want to tackle that, Gus, or you want to uh, come at me? Uh, whichever. Uh, I can I can wait, whichever. If you want a second to think, I can go first, whichever. Yeah, why don't you go on, because I'm, I'm actually looking at this blog that I did on talking to children about racism. So I'll follow up after you. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> it's... It is an interesting question because the the culture is white supremacy. So, I mean, you are, well, I am against the uh, the current culture because the current culture is white supremacy. I see lashes on the line. I suspect she would co-sign on that. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it would just come down words. I, I would say we could start right there uh, and the importance of definitions. Uh, what exactly is the culture that we're in? That's a conversation to be had. And if you conclude, as I have, that the culture, the dominant culture worldwide is white supremacy. Well, dad, how is that so? Or it might even be dad. I think that's a lie. OK, <laughs> let's see if that's true. Let's investigate. We come up with what we say culture is and then we evaluate. We just take a look around to see if that's true. Uh, and if that is true, is this something that we should be going along with? Because I assert that the culture that I see right now is all about black people suck. Someone just posted uh, on my Facebook group all these racist jokes. And I had seen a bunch of them before. But I think 30 percent of the, the racist jokes that were posted uh, were laughing about violence, lethal violence being against black people. That's the main culture. That's what we encourage. That's what we promote. You were talking about uh, the problem of sexual relationships between white people and non-white people. That's promoted all the time in a really trifling and tacky way. That's why the current culture is scandal. I think Pam talked about that before. You don't have to eat alone. If you want to talk about scandal and how great it is, hey, great, you will be straight. Uh, but that's just promoting the same filth and trash that we always get under the system of white supremacy. Uh, so for me, it would just come down to what do we mean when we say culture? What is the dominant culture right now? Is it racism, white supremacy? And if so, is this something that we should support? And I think children want to be logical. Uh, I think, you know, if most 10 year olds, uh, most 10 year old black children, uh, they're very aware of what's happening. They see this, they watch television, they know what's going down. I think most of them, you would be surprised if you're honest, a lot of them will see the incorrectness about what's happening and they will naturally want it. In fact, I can give you one and this will be where I can rest that. Uh, Doreen Lawrence, huge respect for her. This is Stephen Lawrence's uh, mom. Uh, this is a black mom, black child in the UK. Uh, Stephen Lawrence, uh, he was stabbed to death by a gang of white terrorists in 1993 in London, middle of the street, London. Uh, he died in the gutter, literally died in the gutter, bled to death. And, he, and no one was prosecuted. No one was arrested for almost 20 years. And they had video where the white people who killed him bragged about killing him, bragged about, you know, their dislike of niggers. 
And this is, again, this is in UK, world system. So finally, they, in 2012, they finally prosecute two of the five. So this, even then, this is not justice, but so two of the five get prosecuted and they are in greater confinement now. Uh, we had Doreen Lawrence on the program twice. We had her on again in 2012, right after the two killers were convicted. And she said uh, that she has another son and that she has a grandchild now. And so her granddaughter is about, at the time, was about seven when this trial was happening. And she said that they had purposely not talked to their grandchild about what happened to her uncle, Stephen Lawrence. She said they didn't want to tell her that she was so young and, you know, how's she going to respond? They didn't want to talk to her at all. So they didn't tell her anything about it. She just knew that she does have an uncle, Stephen, who is no longer alive. Their seven-year-old is seeing all of this coverage. So now she finally understands what happened to her uncle and why he's not here. Her conclusion at seven, I don't like white people. Mm. That's a seven-year-old brain computer. Do the math. The problem is mm-hmm. white people. How do I feel about white people? I don't like white people. Now, unfortunately, grandmother regarded this as a problem that needed to be corrected. Mm-hmm. I will rest there. Pam? Oh, that's a... Uh... I mean, I agree with everything that you said. I think kids are very logical. I think, uh, I think really a lot of times parents, we're protecting ourselves from more than we're protecting our children. But I understand, uh, how old is your child? How old is your, you said it's your son? How old is he? He's going to be three in a couple of months. Oh, three, okay. I think um, that's pretty young. But I do think that... Um, Kids, like this was saying, they're very logical. And if you don't, sh- if you don't hide and, and try to obscure what is happening, uh, when something happens, for example, if you, you know, when they're a little older, when he's a little older, you know, something happens, you could try to explain it and say we're in a system of white supremacy. I think it's important to make sure that they understand this is not a handful of people. This is not a random occurrence. This is a system. I think understanding it's a system is the most important thing a child can, under, can, can ever take away from a conversation about racism, white supremacy, because then it puts it in context. But what white people will do is they'll try to put it in the context that this is random, that this is just these white people over here. This is just the Ku Klux Klan. This is just the Aryan nation. These are who the real white supremacists are. No, it's a system. And I think once they understand it's a system, it's just like understanding a computer, you know, you know that it's a computer system. That means it's got a monitor, keyboard, mouse, power cords, uh, USB cables, whatever goes with it. If you try to look at the parts individually, they really, they may, you know, you can, you can understand them, but you'll never understand how they all work together unless you look at them from a complete picture. I think if we teach our children that it's a system, and then we can, we can demonstrate how it's a system, look at the educational system. Say, you know, you go into this school. You know, your school isn't as good as this white school over there. This is part of the system to keep you from being as educated as white students. You know, we live over here. Look at our neighborhood. Look at the, you know, this. And as far as the, um, all the interracial uh, dating and having sex with white people and biracial children, that can be explained as well, is that we are in a system that promotes white 
people being superior. The black people who are choose to be with the white people believe that as well. And so this is something we want to make you aware that these people are acting out of confusion. I mean, they might be a little young to, to use those kind of words, but I think the basic thing is to create a foundation and to, in your house, to be consistent. Be consistent. And that is, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're talking to them, you got to be consistent. You got to stay on point with what you are. You got to keep your war hat on because guess what? They're going to be watching a lot of television if you choose, mm-hmm. if you allow it. They're going to be watching, looking at a lot of cartoons. They're going to be looking at a lot of movies, reading comic books, coloring books, whatever, and they're going to be get an overdose of white supremacy. So I think that, for example, if your child is sitting there watching something, a friend of mine, he was, he had a, I think when his son was about four years old. Uh, the teacher, they watched the video in class, and the teacher sent the DVD home with them. And he sat down and watched it. And he was like, what is this garbage? They had these little funny little animals, you know, acting out this little fairy tale story. And all of the uh, cute little animals were, were white. They were light, you know, colored light. All the big, big things were dark. And so he told his wife, he says, I'm not letting him watch this. And he threw it away. The thing is, is instead of throwing it away, which eventually you probably should, is sit down and tell them, see, this is what the system does. The system is about maintaining that black people are inferior. The system does things this way. When the police, oh, you, you know, you sit down and you hear a story about a black person being shot in the arm, this is a system. This is the way the system functions. The system is about keeping black people in an inferior position. I have found that when people start young with their children, a lot of these kids, they catch on, and they become almost, I mean, you're amazed at how much they grasp. You know, I understand that people are worried. You don't want your child to go out there and get into trouble. You don't want them to have a hard time, be ostracized. But at the same time, mm-hmm. do you really want them to turn out to be totally confused and self-hating, and they're going to be just as much danger if they don't respect themselves they're going to put themselves in more dangerous situations. So there's really no safe course for black children. The power, giving them power is giving, knowledge is giving them power. You have to give them some kind of foundation of understanding what this system is about. Because if they don't, they're going to get lost. And I would say definitely limit TV watching, movies, even if that means you have to limit your own watching. You know, limit, because all of this is programming. Every movie, TV, cartoon, fairy tale, Disney, TV show is about white supremacy. I'm amazed when I'm sitting there and something comes on and somebody tells me about a movie, because I don't go see movies very often. If I do see anything, I see it for free from the library. That's another thing. Let them see that you ain't, you're not spending money on it. Get, if you've got to see something, go to the library and get it. Let them know that this is not valuable enough for us to waste family income on. We're not going to waste family income on promoting white supremacy. But everything I have seen, I swear to God, from the commercials to the TV shows to the movies, everything I have seen is promoting white supremacy, whether it's Scandal or whether it's, um, what's that other show? Um, that, uh, that show that everybody likes, Empire, full of white supremacy, full of it. So I think that even though there's no easy answers, your child will be better off psychologically if they're armed with some knowledge. And uh, you may have 
to limit your socialization. You know, putting your child in contact with people who are totally confused, unsupervised contact. You might have to limit that. You know. Uh, can um, I say? We because uh, we have other people that dialed in. If you can hang tight, yes, I can sir. come back to you and uh, get your follow up question. That's no problem, sir. That's no problem at all. Cool in the gang. Thank you. First time caller. Thank you uh, for dialing in. I hope I was not talking crazy. Uh, the person. No, no. <laughs> the person that dialed in uh four two three nine four two three nine did you have a question for Pam? Let's see four last four digits four two three nine did you have a question? Hmm. I'm not sure if they uh, hit their mute button or they're just listening. I'll try again. Four two three nine. Did you have a question? Four two three nine. Trying again. Four two three nine. Are you just listening, or did you have a question? Okay. Not hearing anything. If you uh, are there, the caller four two three nine. I'm not hearing anything from your line. If you want to hang up. And dial back in. Uh, I'll look out for you uh, on the switchboard, and then uh, I'll just cycle to you uh, if you want to dial back in. But we're not not hearing anything. I don't know if you uh, bumped your mute button or if it's another issue uh, on your line. Uh, the caller at five zero nine eight five zero nine eight. Did you have a question for Pam? Oh uh, yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you. I caught the tail end of this, and I just want to say thank you. I I, I just came off a road trip. I left. Uh, July 16th, and I just got back today, and I had your book on my front seat. If I may share oh, a quick experience. I'm sorry? <laughs> no, I was saying that's great. <laughs> yeah, I want to share a quick, uh, I was on Interstate 40, 16 miles from the Oklahoma border, uh, um, state line in Arkansas, and I was pulled over at 10 o'clock at night in a rented SUV with a bike on the uh, he said my license plate was, uh, wasn't able to see it. But what's interesting is that normally we have these strategies that says you leave your blinkers on and you drive to a lighted spot, um, and so forth. But it was 16 miles to the, uh, Oklahoma border and it was quite dark. It was 10 o'clock at night. And when they pulled me over and said, do you know why we pulled you over? I said, no. They said your bicycle is blocking the license plate. So to make a long story short, um, he asked that I had ever been arrested before. Obviously, uh, uh, they're going to check. I said, yes, I had a marijuana conviction in the late seventies, back when they had zigzags and shoebox full of seats that leave the bed for a social thing. And so he used that as a pretense to ask to search the vehicle. Um, now I'm faced with a dilemma. I'm in a very dark area. Uh, they got a flashlight on me. Uh, I can only see silhouettes of them as passing cars. So I wasn't able to put on the blinkers and drive to the nearest uh, lighted spot. So I actually gave, before anyone judged me, I gave them permission. My fear was, what if they plan something? My vacation is over. They planned, mm -hmm. they searched the vehicle, uh, one of them did, and he came back and said, uh, you know, uh, you didn't have to allow me to search your vehicle. And I said, uh, okay. Um, and he uh, said, you seem quite afraid. I said, I'm in a vulnerable spot. I'm on the side of a highway uh, on Interstate 40, and I could barely see your faces or identifying features. And I said, uh, recent events 
what recent events? I said, oh, just recent events, and I, didn't, I wasn't going to fall for that. But to make a long story short, we could come up with, it, with these strategies when you're faced with that situation. Uh, and he actually picked up your book, by the way, as he was looking uh, in the car. He obviously did not recognize you or the author um, and, and said, uh, you are articulate. That's not a compliment. That's just BS. But my point of it is we can come up with strategies and logic, but when you're faced with that situation, sometimes you may uh, react very, very differently than, 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 than what you may think. If I was in a light to Walmart parking lot, I probably would have said, no, you don't have permission. But on the side of the highway, I felt incredibly vulnerable at 10 o'clock at night, and I and in the dark, there was no lighted houses anywhere around. Um, so I'll, I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good. That's that's that was something else that uh, actually I wanted to talk about. Gus was the incident of black people in encounter, encounters with police. Um, for me personally, the. Uh, black Love is a Revolutionary Act. The interracial con game doesn't play into any of that. I tell people all the time, you got one agenda. When you have a, a, um, a interaction with a police officer, that is to go home in one piece, not to go to the jail and not to go to the hospital, not to go to the graveyard. That is one instance, I think, where if they pull you over, and you feel it was unjustified, you feel it was harassment, you feel they acted improperly, disrespectfully, keep that information to yourself. Your agenda is to get home that night. If that means that you have to perhaps subject yourself to something that, not totally unreasonable, but like for you, a search of your car. They didn't have the legal right to do that. Okay, but guess what? They've got a badge and a gun and the power of the system behind them. Black people who get into conflicts with police usually come out on the losing end. So I tell people, even though we talk about the cold book, we talk about this and that, I think uh, it would be interesting to ask Mr. Fuller on, on that particular thing about, black people's encounters with the police. And I personally just feel, I'm just speaking for myself, your main agenda is not to show them how smart you are, not to show them that you know your rights, not to pull the cell phone out and wave it in his face, not to refuse to do something that's not totally unreasonable. Okay, he asked you to show your ID. You're sitting on the passenger side. Okay, why is he asking me for my ID? I'm not even driving. That is something you can ask later. That is something you can file a complaint about later. At that particular time, Pull out your, if it's not something unreasonable, pull out your ideas, show them in. If you're jaywalking, like that black female, uh, what happened with her in the Colorado, she was a professor. If he asks you to show your ID, show your ID. File your complaint later. This guy has a badge and a gun. You don't know who he is. You don't know his temperament. You don't know if he's a person that just wants to get home that night or whether he's a person that's harmed other black people before. You have no way of knowing. Your whole thing is to get home that night. Deal with whatever was improperly done later. So I never tell nobody, don't get, you know, don't, you know, hey, don't let them push you around. You know, you, you know, you know the system. Nah, nah, nah. You know, the whole thing is, and teach your children that. I mean, I understand people get upset. I understand that people feel they're being unjustly treated. I get all that. It's hard to let you have somebody mistreat you right in front of your face and you don't say anything about it. 
I'm scared of a person searching my vehicle, too, because what if they plant something? But if you don't allow them to search a vehicle on that dark road, what, how, what, what other path could that have taken? I think you did the wisest thing you could have done under those circumstances. Your whole agenda is to get home, not to show the white people that you know your rights. It's to get home. My, uh, my quick comment would be, uh, number one, Mr. Fuller has discussed this topic uh, before many, 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 many times. Uh, he's done okay. so uh, on this program and many others on this program. His answer or his suggestion was one word, comply. <laughs> I think you would 1,000% cosign on your objective is to live and to go home. Uh, without being mauled, beaten, tased, pepper sprayed, uh, or anything else, comply uh, to recognize that they have a lot more power than you do. Uh, they have backup. You don't comply. Even if they are rude and nasty and cursing at you and the whole nine, comply. You do not have more power than they do. And 10 times out of nine, you are going to lose. Uh, it's not like you're going to be able to go on YouTube and find uh, tons of videos where a black person said, you know, I don't care who you are, officer so-and-so. I'm not, I'm not going to do what you say. And the black person, you know, went home without a scratch that day, didn't do any jail time and, you know, are chilling. <laughs> like, uh, that was the, it's not going to be too many clips where that's what happens. Uh, you generally know what's going to happen. Uh, the, and the caller, uh, you did not do anything incorrect. That's what I meant before about being truthful about this is scary. This is terrorism. We've used that word for a reason. This is what you can expect under a system of terrorism. So absolutely, you did that. That's what you thought was the correct thing to do. You lived to tell about it. Hey, right on. Uh, the only uh, hang, hang on, because I do have one thing that I want to interject. And if you want to respond, one thing that I would say, though, and this is in line with the whole objective, which was I want to go home and I want to live. I would never consent to a search from a police officer. And this is one that I've talked about on the program from experience. I'm not just running off at the mouth. This is one I've done repeatedly by myself at night in the dark, different police officers, different jurisdictions. It has worked every time without fail. What you say, can I search your vehicle? Can I search your pockets? Can I search your backpack officer? I understand that you're just doing your job. I do not consent to any searches of my person, my property, my vehicle without a warrant. That is huge. And that is directly on. I want to go home. You cannot trust these officers. Exactly what you said about the going through and planning. I've seen too many uh, videos. And in fact, since you said you had her book in the car, I could totally see an officer looking like, oh, my God, black love is a revolutionary. Where is my vial of crack? Sir, uh, we have uh, we've discovered some crack under your uh, radical book here, and we've got. To, I could totally mm. see that happen. They have a whole record of that. So, my suggestion, just based on my own personal, and again, I talked about this a month ago. I said this happened at a mall where I had my backpack, and the officer said, "Can we search your backpack?" And I said exactly what I just told you, and he said, "Okay," and that's what they've always said. Okay. Get your warrant. I'm yeah. happy to comply, officer. If you don't have a warrant, I do not consent to any searches. And if they snatch the bag or if you're in your car and they just start rummaging through, you don't fight, you don't argue. Okay. But you just make a note that I didn't consent to this search, but okay. 
And that's important because that can come up later that I did not consent to the search that I told them I did not consent to the search. And even if they find something, it can be thrown out because you said I didn't consent. They didn't have a warrant. That's against the law. So that's that's just all for legal and connected to I want to go home. But if you don't want to do it, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, if you feel like the environment, it's just you. You don't feel safe. Oh, I am getting a little bit of background noise. Looks <laughs> like enforcement Muted. officers. Oh. Unmuted. Looks like the enforcement officers are being disruptive right now. Um, but yeah, that's that's one I would say to uh, to anybody. If you don't feel safe doing it, if you feel uncomfortable saying it, don't yeah. say it. But I would strongly advise practice saying that because you're not saying it with an attitude. You're not. You still don't have any power. It's not like you're saying this with a gun or a tank or backup or anything. So you are saying it from a weak position respectfully. But I, it has never failed. It has worked every time. And I seriously think that's something that could keep you out of trouble. And it's a video that's connected to this that gives you exactly what I just said. It shows you how to say it. Recommendation. Uh, I would not tell you anything that's going to put you in danger. But I would I would encourage that people practice getting comfortable saying that what I say all the time, get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's when I would okay. recommend and it's connected to I want to go home. One other comment, quick comment, is something that um, the, the, um, the both of you, you spoke of. When I got to Los Angeles and I walked in, a um, number of homes with big screen televisions that were on, every reality show, all the TVs were on, it was very difficult to socialize for me personally because you had the Sunday uh, blonde, blue-eyed worship thing going on. You had the reality shows. You had to say Obama's really doing this and that. Everything that you talked about, uh, um, even though I was doing my best to relate to my biological family, I felt incredibly alienated in the sense that I was not allowed. Uh, there would have been consequences for sharing my opinion, the things that I have learned. So I felt a bit disingenuous and fraudulent because I had to sort of smile. I had a choice to make. If I state my opinion about the Sunday worshiping or about the Kardashians or about uh, Obama, and all of these other topics that came up, there would have been consequences, mm-hmm. including the dietary uh, issue, too, of me having to fake illness not to partake on dead flesh. But, okay. but anyway, I wanted to share that. Thank you, guys. I just got back today, um, and it was a, a long trip. And one other thing, too, when I went to the Grand Canyon, uh, I saw maybe four or five people uh, that classified themselves as black. And the Europeans, um, uh, the Czechs, the Germans, the U.K., they walked around. It was this feel that they were entitled, even though they were in this country. They were part of this system. They knew it, and they knew that this belonged to them. They were entitled. Um, that white domination thing is everywhere. Anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for my education. I am less, I'm still confused, but less confused. Thank you. Very good. I wanted to add something to that, Gus. Uh, Proceed. I think that was really important what you said about not giving, um, you know, refusing to allow them to search your person or your vehicle or your property. And I, I also agree that it's a judgment call. If you feel, if you say it, for example, and the reaction is very, very immediately hostile and negative and feels threatening, you have, it's a judgment call. Everybody has the right to make that call. Nobody can come back and criticize you for that call. You have a right. You're the one that's sitting in that seat, being confronted with that situation. 
you have to make your own judgment call. But I would say this, also in terms of be respectful, even if they're being disrespectful. Yes, sir. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, short, simple answers, you know, um, being respectful. I look at it it's similar to if you're walking down the street and an armed robber comes up and approaches you with a gun. Now, it's not the time to tell the armed robber that you know your rights, that, uh, no, I'm not going to give you my money. I'm not going to give you my phone because I paid for it. Why don't you go get a job? That's not the time to have a conversation. So I look at being confronted by a police officer that is acting in a hostile or racist fashion. I look at this the same way I would be approached by a criminal. Whatever this guy is talking about, whatever his attitude is, my goal is to get home. I'm not going to sit there and try to prove to him that I'm smarter, that I know my rights better, none of that. You know, my whole thing is I treat, if you're coming up to me and I'm feeling threatened by you, I'm looking at you the same way I would look at an armed robber. And so uh, I don't know if that helps put anything in context. But, and the, oh, the other thing, the last thing I wanted to add was talk about your experiences with your children. If you have any rapport with the younger people in your family, talk about those experiences. We have a tendency to keep that stuff from them. We have a tendency, maybe it's pride, maybe it's shame, but if somebody's mistreating you, why are you shamed? You're ashamed because you feel like, well, it says something about you that the person treats you. No, it doesn't. It says something about the person that's mistreating you. It doesn't say anything about you other than the way that you handle it. But it really still doesn't say anything about you when you're a victim, and victim reacts the way a victim reacts. So I would say at, at the most Black people, we have a dozen, a hundred, thousands of experiences our children could learn from. We need to learn to share that information. Put that pride to the side, the false pride to the side. Stop telling yourself you don't want to teach your kids to hate. It's not teaching them to hate when you're telling them the truth. When you're giving, do the Jews take, tell their kids, you know, not talk about the things that they claim that happened to them? Do they do that with their children? Of course not. So what I'm saying is we have to stop protecting Stop being co-conspirators and keep silence about what white people are doing. You know, stop keeping white people's secrets because when you don't share that information with other people, particularly with young people, you are helping to keep their secrets. So we, that's, the, that's the thing I really want to emphasize is talk to your children about what you just experienced. Tell them how it felt. Tell them why you think it happened. Absolutely. Uh, the cult Lashes. Uh, do you have a question for Pam? You should be with us. Hello, this is Lashes. Can you hear me? Yes, Hello, Lashes. Hi, how are you, Pam? Okay, how are you? I'm good. I have a question. Have you thought about or, yeah, have you thought about this whole transgender uh, <laughs> push in the media? And the reason why I'm posing this question is because I have seen the pattern of these transgender uh, men wanting to be or who are now classified as female who are redefining what a female is and how she should be. An example of that would be, for example, how black women wear their makeup today. Uh, When I look at black females' makeup, it's very reminiscent to me of drag queen makeup, and I come to find out that's where it stems from, especially in the field of work I work in, which is film entertainment realm 
It's, an example would be like contouring of the face, nose, etc., which stems from the whole drag queen um, world. So I want to know, have you seen this pattern as well in terms of how the media is trying to force transgender female, particularly, uh, issues in the media and how they, transgender women, are redefining what a woman should be and how they should be acting? Mm-hmm. I hadn't noticed the makeup thing, but I had noticed that this push, which is, I think everybody has noticed this push for uh, homo- you know, to, to make homosexuality the norm, almost. It's almost as though homosexuality is preferable to heterosexuality, the way that they're pushing it. Transgender. I heard the military is talking about allowing transgenders. I don't think any of this, I don't think anybody should be confused that this has anything to do with respecting the rights of people. It has nothing to do with respecting the rights of homosexuals, of transgender people. It has nothing to do with that. To me, it's all about breaking down the societal mores or what little morality is left in this culture. Because once you do that, once this is okay and that's okay and this is fine, everything becomes okay. Mr. Fuller, I think, once said, next thing you know, they'll be, you'll be able to marry dogs. And actually, in Denmark, it is legal to have sex with dogs. So we have to keep in mind what we're dealing with. But I do believe that most of this is really about breaking people down. It's really about getting the children, getting the young people. They don't care about people 50, 60, 70. They don't really care. It's about getting the young people to accept any and everything. And I think it's really a lot of it is particularly the homosexuality. I think it's directed a lot of it at black men. I think they really want to destroy the heterosexuality of black men. I don't think they care as much about black women. I think they're targeting black men in particular because they want to destroy black manhood. They want to destroy black womanhood as well. But they know by destroying black manhood, they destroy the whole thing anyway. And that the women are going to be scrabbling and struggling and and trying to find a way in a world in which the men don't want them, in which the men are not connected to them. So by that token, the women become dis- more dysfunctional, more traumatized anyway. But I think a lot of this push for homosexuality, I think that's why they put the black man's face on it. They had Obama. He came out supporting homosexual marriage. I don't call it gay because that's the total misappropriation of a word that actually exists. They had Obama being the first president to endorse homosexual marriage. It's not marriage, homosexual, whatever it is. Um, Black men are the main ones to get penalized for saying anything that they consider going against the grain of accepting homosexuality. So there's something in particular about homosexuality and transgenderism that is really part of the white supremacy system. You know, the white supremacy system is involved in all of this. And I think, uh, I think basically it's just about getting people to a point where they become totally, totally receptive to anything that the system wants to feed them. So I don't think it has anything to do with people's rights. They don't care about people. They don't even care about white people. They just well, care about making What I also mm-hmm. find really interesting, too, with this whole transgender, specifically transgender, is that they're promoting men becoming women, but you don't see the system, white supremacy, promoting men becoming mm-hmm. women. That's actually frowned right. upon. Yeah, you mean women becoming men? Men becoming, uh, women becoming men, correct. Right. right. Yeah, that's what I say. I don't think the homosexual push is really aimed at women. First of all, they don't want to take a woman 
who's a, a, a secondary gender and make her into a primary gender. They have no interest in doing that. That doesn't serve any purpose. What they want to do is they want to destroy the men. They want to destroy the men. That's why I've always felt, even though I'm not mar marginalizing black females, none whatsoever. Uh, I think a lot of black female homosexuality, just my opinion, is due to two reasons. One is possibly the hormones in the food. They have laced this food up with so many hormones that some of the women are appearing more masculine than the men. I believe part of it is the substances they're putting in the food that is an explosion of homosexuality, but I also believe the women are responding to a dysfunctional level of male-female relationships where some are just opting out or being, you know, and the media pushing that as though female homosexuality is something cute. But I think the main target, in my opinion, is men, and I think the main target of the men is black men. They want to destroy black male heterosexuality. And I think they also want to destroy people's sense of what is correct. Not, I don't care anything about politics. What is correct biologically? See, when you come at it from a biological standpoint, it's pretty much for me a wash. If men and men are supposed to be able to cohabitate, marry, and, 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 uh, and, and whatever else they're doing, have, have uh, anti-sex behavior, they should be able to reproduce. If the penis belongs in the anus, they should be able to reproduce. If two women being together is natural and normal, they should be able to reproduce. If this was natural and normal, why are there no homosexual societies? So I'm just saying, I just go by nature, and I won't get off into a long diatribe about it, but I do think it has nothing. I think people need to understand it has nothing to do with respecting people's rights. This is all about propagandizing and psychological warfare to break down the population so they, they accept this, they'll accept that, they accept this, they'll accept that. And it's also aimed at destroying black males and black male-female relationships. I, I, think, I think specifically the transgender push, not the whole gay, homosexual, whatever bracket, but, the, but specifically the transgender female push is killing mm -hmm. two birds with one stone, which is the black mm -hmm. male and what black femininity should be, ought to be, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. It's not even mm -hmm. the part where they're even negating the term, even if you think, look at the definition of femininity. They're negating, omitting the term and definition of femininity and solely relying on the term uh, female. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you listen to transgender, like I was watching, like, yes, I'm, I'm going to admit it because I'm trying to study all this stuff. I was watching that whole, like, uh, I am Kate, uh, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner TV show, and he quoted mm -hmm. a transgender white male in term female that I've always felt like a female but never felt um, like I was feminine. I was mm -hmm. like, hmm. I, that what does that mean? It, this is how I interpret it. This is how I interpret it for myself. This RWS culture hates, detests feminine uh, nature, energy, spirituality, etc. It detests it. Mm -hmm. Not just simply the fact that you're a female. That's just one part of it. But they detest. It detests femininity. So it's okay. And I was thinking in terms of RWS and how it functions. I'm like, okay, so they're pushing. It's okay for a man to want to become a female. But that male who now become reclassified as a female will never possess femininity. And that's okay. 
femininity in terms of creating life, important, right? Et cetera. Yeah. Not, right. not the fact that it's not important. I think it's femininity in the system of RWS, culturally speaking, is a threat because it can produce life. The patriarchy mm-hmm. system of RWS doesn't really produce life. It just kills life on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, when I said it wasn't important, what I meant was they don't want it to be important. They want to act like it's just a, a quality that has no value. You know, be, and I think a lot of this comes from the people who are actually controlling the system. They are twisted sexually. They are perverted sexually. So how much of this is their desire to normalize their own sickness? I don't know. Uh, because basically a lot of the people in positions of power, entertainment, education, politics, religion, they're homosexuals, whether they're out of the closet or in the closet. And so I think perhaps there's a small part of that, and I don't think it's a big part, where they're trying to normalize their own mental sickness, their own sexual sickness, by making it appear to be acceptable, and not just acceptable, but desirable. Because the way they're doing it now, it's like homosexuality is the preferred sexual choice. Not a sexual choice, but the preferred one. But I think, like I said, it has nothing to do with respecting the rights of people. Nothing to do with it at all. Because they don't respect people. And with the pre- uh, hang on, hang on. Preferred- hang on one second. Because we had some other folks that dialed in, too. Um, <clears throat> the caller at, uh, that I guess we were having some trouble before. I'm going to try one more time. 4239, 4239. Did you have a question for Pam? Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Yes, hi, how are you doing? Uh, my name is Sanders, and uh, I have a comment regarding um, a particular incident that happened um, with a gentleman by the name of Alex Landau. Um, it was an incident where he had almost got um, killed. Um, he has a, a white adopted mother, and um, there, was, there was a piece on Democracy Now! where I watched the clip, and it was a little animated short. And it was interesting how... Um, you know, the whole thing about, um, you know, white women raising black children. Um, I wanted uh, Pam and maybe even you guys to uh, speak, uh, you know, shortly about that, about white people raising black children and how that affects the child. Um, and, and I kind of feel that, you know, white people raising black children are not really equipped to, you know, to teach the child about how to be black and I don't say not to be able to navigate, you know, white supremacy. Because they're kind of like, <laughs> they don't really, they don't understand it because even the the white person, or, or they're kind of oblivious to white supremacy in some way. So they can't really teach the black child how to navigate between that. So how do you feel about, um, you know, the black, the black child? Do you think it's kind of like a form of abuse in terms of, you know, uh, the, the, the parent not teaching the child that there are differences between black and white and how you're going to be viewed things of this nature? Well, you know what? I, I view uh, white people uh, taking possession of black children much in the way that you take possession of property. And if you look at what they've done throughout the world, in Australia, for example, if you ever want to read a really heartbreaking story, I think it was called The Lost Generation, they, uh, it was uh, a series of articles done about how uh, white invaders, calling themselves Australians, they basically mm. sold the children of Aboriginal people. And a lot of these children were abused sexually, physically. A lot of them committed suicide, you know, as, as they got older. 
alcoholism, drug abuse. I look at the taking of someone's children. That is a, a, a group or a nation's greatest resource. So when you look at that behavior, and particularly the, how, how more common it's becoming, you're looking at an act of war. When I can take your children, I've conquered you. When you embrace the fact that I take your children and you think it's a good thing, you are conquered. Flip it around. Would white people allow us to take their children? No, because they understand the importance. They, that's the next generation. Those are the people that are going to maintain the system. They're not going to let black people raise their children. I bet you can count on one hand the number of black people who have actually adopted white children, whereas you couldn't count on 50,000 hands how many white people now have possession of our children. A lot of these children are being abused. They had this one story several years ago where this white male, they, you, know, they, you know, they allowed this single white male to adopt two black boys. He was raping them, and he was putting the videos of raping them on the Internet. That's how he got caught, and he was inviting other white male homosexuals, I guess who had that same tendency, that they could have a stab at them, they could have a, 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 a go at them too. So we don't know what's happening to these children. Even white people who necessarily don't adopt black children to, to necessarily abuse them, they're also not going to teach them how to navigate the system. So what is this real agenda there? I think the real agenda is to take black children and turn them into surrogates, into surrogates that will help them maintain the system of white supremacy because white people's population is dwindling. So they're going to be taking non-white people and turning them into their surrogates so that they will help them maintain yeah. the system. I think it's all by design. Well, I mean, I really think this is a strategy. Well, I mean, on the surface, I think hang it has on, more to do on, with sir. this. Hang on, sir. Hang on. Um, number one, Cynical African, I think he would appreciate the, uh, or at least Pam's response, uh, cynicalafrican.com. Always get my plug in, cynicalafrican.com. Uh, <laughs> I did also hear uh, a suggestion that white people don't think about or are not informed about white supremacy. If anyone is ignorant about racism, it's black people. Absolutely. Um, that is nefarious. It is a widespread and powerful concept that white people are not aware of, or white people don't talk about, or white people don't think about racism. All of that is astronomically false. If you get anything from mm -hmm. listening to this program, I hope it is that one concept that white people cannot it's not just that they aren't they cannot they cannot be ignorant about racism this has come up on the program many times particularly with our white guests who are extremely informed about racism and demonstrate their immense knowledge every time they come on this program but white people will get in trouble with other white people other white people will let you know when you are slipping on what you're supposed to be doing as a white woman or a white man and it's tons of illustrations of that we've had white people come on this program and share that and talk about it. as white woman the article that just came out uh, that I referenced where this white girl she got pregnant by a black guy and her mom came home with the first thing her mom said you know better than to get pregnant by a nigger mm -hmm. you know better we've already had this conversation we talk about this you know your expectations 
as a white race soldier, female. You know this. You already know what's going to happen. That little nigger child is out of here, and that's exactly what happened. They're not ignorant. Hmm. So I would hope anybody, I hope that was someone who's a new listener, uh, but no one who listens to this program should ever suggest that white people are not informed about, don't talk about, don't think about racism. That is absolutely not the case. That is like saying five plus five is 20. Uh, the person that called in eight one seven nine eight one seven nine. Did you have a question for Pam? Uh, may I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, good evening, Gus, and to uh, Pam. I did have a question for you, Pam, um, and it was: you see, what is your uh, inspiration for continuing to do this work? Um, I heard in the beginning of the program, um, you know, you were expressing the the need for us to be patient with, um, you know, other victims. And of course there was a time when we are uh, all were confused and, you know, still just battling this war. Um, and, and I always appreciate, you know, the, the prayer that, uh, Gus says at the end of the program, but I'm just wondering, you know, what inspires you and what, uh, pushes you to keep, uh, doing this work. Oh, good question. Uh, I have to admit that sometimes I am uninspired, and sometimes I just question whether I even want to continue. But I think uh, one thing that, that does inspire me, and I'm not just saying this, is Gus continuing year after year, year after year, doing program after program after program after program. If anybody should be tired, it should be Gus. And if Gus isn't tired, then I shouldn't be tired. I am tired. But at the same time, I look at it as it's like watching a battle going on, a war. And then you decide you're going to turn your back on it. Well, how are you going to really do that when the war is all around you? And it's almost like once you get involved in it, you can even step back from it, but you never really stop being part of it because it's almost like you, I guess my inspiration would be Gus. My inspiration is also the people who send me emails. I get emails from people periodically who are asking questions of me, asking me questions about their personal life. Um, every once in a while I get a request for a phone call. Uh, when I look at the thing that keeps me is those small number of people that let me know that the work is important. And I always used to say, if you help one person, then what you did was worthwhile. Sometimes it's hard to believe that, but in reality, that's the truth. You reach the people you're supposed to reach. You're not going to reach most people. You're not supposed to, you know. But the people that you reach have to be important enough to you, no matter how the num what the number is, it has to be important enough to you. And that is where I get my motivation from, is the small number of people that let me know that something I said, something I did helped them. And that's pretty much it. Um, but there are times when I just think, what's the point? What is the point of this? But I know what the point is. I know what the point is. And I, I would encourage everybody to find something about this struggle that's important to you that you can relate to. Because if you help one person, you help the person you were supposed to help. And you might not help with that one person. But let that be your goal, you know. If everybody, every one of us 
out here who says that we're trying to be misused, who says that we want to be part of this. If you help one person, just imagine if 15 people help one person. That's 15 more people. And that 15 people help one person. Say it's 100 of us and we help one person. Say you help two people. That's 200 people. You know, so that's what keeps me is the small number of people that contact me and let me, and it makes me feel like, okay, maybe I did contribute something. Um, well, I definitely thank you for, you know, answering my question. And I have one more question, if I could. Um, and this is to you and, um, and or Gus, you both can answer. I know we are um, in the refinement stage of, you know, racism. But I was wondering, do you, um, do you all feel that white people ever feel ashamed of their actions or the actions of other whites or how they treat uh, non-white people? You want to take that first, Gus? We were just talking about that. <laughs> Um, uh, my, my response, uh, absolutely not. Uh, and if, if I would point to anything, I would just go back to racist jokes. Uh, the prolific amount of little ditties and one liners that whites have passed along down. I mean, these are really like heirlooms, you know, in the system of white supremacy to me. I mean, that is, is such an indictment that not only is there a lack of remorse or shame about this, they enjoy this. Uh, that's why, that's why I have asserted and I've asserted and I've written about this. All of these videos, uh, seeing Sandra Bland thrown on the ground. Uh, Dr. Ursula Orr was mentioned earlier. That incident happened uh, in Arizona. She was a, pr a professor at Arizona state, uh, seeing her thrown on the ground for jaywalking. Uh, seeing Eric Garner choked, seeing Tamir Rice shot and killed, just all of these, this footage of terrorism, this is lynching photos. White people are proud of this. They enjoy this. This is their religion. Uh, Isabel Wilkerson, she wrote about this, where YouTube videos of black people being choked out and tased and pepper sprayed and killed and shot. Walter Scott shot in the back and handcuffed once he's dead. Uh, and the uh, Mr. Dubot in uh, Cincinnati, him being shot, having his head blown off, that this passed around on YouTube has much greater circulation than any lynching photographs from the 20th century ever could have had. And you can look at the comments. People send them to me. Well, white people are sitting there. Nigga deserved what he got. Yeah. All right. You see this every day. So absolutely not uh, to me. Uh, sincere, genuine remorse or shame would motivate one to stop the behavior and white people just continue and get better at the practice of terrorizing black people. So I absolutely don't see it at all, but I could be wrong. Pam. Oh, absolutely. You know what I compare it to? And, and, and I love this analogy, even though I'm not calling people roaches. Have you ever had a roach in your kitchen and you turn the light on? What happens? The roach runs and hides. Is the roach ashamed? No. The roach doesn't want to be exposed. It doesn't because it knows that if it's exposed and you see it, then you might exterminate it. So I see white supremacy, white, white racists in the same manner is they're not ashamed of what they do. The only time that they react is when you start to see it. 
In other words, just like uh, in that, I think it was the Missouri uh, shooting where the Crips and the Bloods came together and they started saying, you know, we don't have a beef with each other. You know, that's when all of a sudden this black female DA, young female, came forward and filed charges. And I noticed that it seemed to happen almost immediately after that picture was taken of the Bloods and the Crips kind of squashing their beef. And I said, that's what, that's what people, see, if, they, if there was shame, shame brings remorse. Remorse brings corrective behavior. When you have, so you could have a friend. The friend does something. If the friend does not try to attempt to rectify that situation, first of all, with an apology, secondly, by changing the behavior or making amends, then that friend is not ashamed. White people collectively, if they were ashamed, they would be making amends. They would change their behavior in a way in which they would be willing to eliminate the system of white supremacy. It wouldn't be a gradual process. They would eliminate the system of white supremacy. What they are, it's not shame that motivates them when it comes to any kind of action toward us after they've been exposed. It's the fear of exposure. I'll tell you something that uh, a white female and who's been a guest on Cows, Farrell Winfrey, this is what she said. So this is also for the brother that was saying that white people uh, may not, you know, uh, they may be oblivious to white supremacy. Uh, this is what she said. We know what we've done to non-whites, and we know what we've put in your head over 500 years. We know how to utilize that. We know how to take advantage of that. We even know how to have a, non have a black friend. We know the dynamics of who is in control. We know where your place is. We know where our place is. The greatest deception we cause is that your people believe us. I have done such a great job, they don't even know that I've done this to them. So there is no doubt that they know exactly. The most ignorant white person knows more about white supremacy than most black people. They know what their role is. Mr. Fuller even talked about it. I wish I could find that one excerpt. But uh, Mr. Fuller talked about that, how at the age of 16, they, the, the average white child is 16, knows what white supremacy is. And uh, he gave a story. I, yeah, so what I'm just saying is you could not keep a system like this going, particularly with less than 10% of the world's population controlling, almost controlling the other 90%. There's no way that that 10% can be made up of ignorant individuals. And, I, uh, you know, I mean, this is just the logistics of it. There's no way you could have a system where a policeman can kill a black person and then go to a jury trial and get acquitted unless the people on that jury, the judge, the investigator, the DA, the coroner, all conspire to get that policeman acquitted. It doesn't happen because it's one or two racist white people. It happens because there's a system, an organization of white people who are dedicated to maintaining the system. You could not have a system like that with a lot of ignorant white people running around not understanding it. So if we use the logic, we know that when you go get a loan, you've never seen this white person before, but they give you a higher loan rate than the white person who came before you who had the same credit score. That doesn't happen by random, okay, by, by accident. It happens because white people understand the system well enough to practice racism. And they are an organization of individuals dedicated and determined to maintaining white supremacy. And I think we have to eliminate that from our minds, that white people are ignorant. They are not ignorant. We are ignorant. 
And ignorant just means not knowing, not understanding. It just means you're stupid. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, man. <laughs> I, uh, I cl- I'm going to the next caller. I just wanted to say, number one, uh, Darren Wilson didn't express any shame about what he did. The article that came out this week, the uh, race soldier, suspected race soldier, decodified, uh, that killed Michael Brown last year. I didn't see where he expressed any shame about taking that black male's life. Um, he did what he it's was war. Doing. That came. It's war. The only people that don't know it's war are the victims. Ashe. <laughs> Ashe. Uh, and in that vein, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. I said one of the two things uh, that folks should have uh, an eye out for in 2015, the shooting trial, the death of Jonathan Farrell in North Carolina. So the dash cam was released today. I said that was going to happen. This is a part of the trauma. I said I thought there was dash cam in this case that hasn't come out or what have you that probably like the Trayvon Martin's case where all this other stuff comes out. So now you get more gory details. Now you get to see another black male who was engaged to a black female graduated from HBCU unarmed, gunned down and it'll be oh well he had marijuana in his system and he had a few drinks and he was kind of uh, you know savagely pounding away on a white woman's door so of course we had to shoot him and kill him and the uh, detail that I need to double check but I think that I saw he was crawling on the ground and they continued to fire at him. If that is the video footage that they released, we talked about this last week. That is one I'm going to skip. If that is indeed what's in that video footage, if you're seeing a black person who's unarmed and on the ground being shot at, I'm going to just go ahead and skip that one. Uh, I already said, I think that this is going to end with an acquittal. Uh, the suspect it's hard to say suspected race soldier. If this was a black male who was indeed shot on the ground, that's new information if that's the way this went down um but they had to have two grand juries before they even got to an indictment and they have a minimum of seven white women on this jury out of a total of 16 that's including the four alternates but combined there are at least seven white women and it could be more because they have two quote-unquote hispanic women on the jury so this could be you know for folks who remember the trayvon martin situation but that went down today as well. Uh, the person who called in from a block number, did you have a question for Pam? Oh, Gus. Uh, yes, go ahead. Can I just say this real quickly? Yes, yes, I think black people, we must get it out of our heads that, um, that white people will ever be ashamed. Get that out of your head. A lot of us think this coverage that's going on, this continuous coverage of black people being killed and by policemen, we think that, well, yeah, now white people know what we're talking about. Now they see what we've been going through. No, 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 no. Get that out your head. They already know what you've been going through. It's just nothing new. So get that out your head that we can shame white people. Please eliminate that from your mind. That's the tendency of a human being to think when wrongdoing is exposed that the people who are perpetrating it are going to be ashamed. Get that out your head. That is not the case. I also think one of the reasons that you're showing this is twofold. One is to completely terrorize us. The psychological war. It's a psychops war. Showing us this constant thing of black people being killed for no reason, being harmed. It has a psychological effect on us. A desired psychological effect on us to make us feel hopeless, to make us feel angry, to make us wear ourselves down with worry and sick and anger, make us sick physically, make us sick mentally. And guess what the end result is? We're going to take it out on each other. So this is a psychological war. The other part 
is what effect it has on white people. If white people keep seeing black people being mistreated, it doesn't make them ashamed. It confirms and conforms to what they already understand and accept. And that is that black people are designed or made to be mistreated. It actually reinforces the notion that black people should be mistreated. It does not create shame. It actually reinforces white supremacy and white supremacy teachings, and it encourages people. Have you ever noticed that when people see a behavior, whether it's positive or negative, they have a tendency to imitate it? Well, if they keep seeing black people being mistreated, you're going to find more average, random white people mistreating us. So please do not think that this exposure by the press is some attempt to tell the truth, to expose wrongdoing, or to make white people shame. It has no, I don't think that has anything to do with why they're showing us these, these videos and showing us these cases. Well said. Um, thank you, Gus. May I be just here? wanted to say that. For sure, mm -hmm. for sure. Yes, ma'am, we can hear you. Okay. Hi, Pam. Um, I just want to say that, first of all, um, me seeing those videos and, and hearing those actions does not make me want to hurt other black people. It makes me want to sympathize with more black people, and I don't hurt. I try and I don't do not hurt other black people. I, I treat other black people as special. Um, my children, I, I treat them very special, and we have lots of love with one another. We we know there's hatred out there, and everything, and we we have our own little world in our home, and and that's where our love is. And I treat other black people the same way, but most of the time I don't get treated the same way back by them. But I just let it go because I understand where they're coming from. Okay, I also want to say I come to the show late because I missed you last Wednesday, and I didn't know you was going to be here today, so I have to listen to the podcast, listen to the rest of the show. I have a two-part question. I want to ask you, what do you think is eventually going to happen with us black people now that I mean, gentrification is taking hold across the country, and they're pushing us further and further out, like the town I live in used to be like 25% uh, black, now it's like 2% black, um, and... Uh, and so many black people uh, living on places like now living in places like Skid Row, where they're pushed further and further out. A lot of them have moved to different cities and stuff, which they're basically going to get pushed out of there too. And also, I want to ask you: Do you think that moving to an African country it would be the the best plan for us? I mean, since you know we really don't have anything in common with Africans except for our our, our quote unquote race. You know, I mean, would they have a whole different type of standards, living conditions, and everything. And I'd like to know what is your, you know, idea about that. Um, I think, unfortunately, you can't run or hide from white supremacy. If you look at what they're doing in Africa right now, um, yeah. you know, the Obama, Obama administration, uh, which is really just a white supremacy organization, uh, you know, pr presidents aren't real. Uh, the, the white supremacy organization masquerading as the Obama administration is attacking Africa as we sit here and speak, AFRICOM, uh, spreading diseases still, uh, spreading, you know, creating all kinds of conflicts and wars. And so I don't see necessarily going to African country as a solution. I can understand the desire to do it, and maybe some people would find uh, some kind of community uh, in an African nation. Um, you know, it's possible there are black people who have moved to Africa. Uh, so uh, 
I would say that's an individual decision, something that should be heavily researched. I would say if a person even considers it, they need to make several, they need to make at least several trips. And I know that's expensive. It's, it's, you know, it may not be practical, but I don't believe in moving someplace and you don't know anything about it. Um, what was your first question? I apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, my first question was, you know, since gentrification is pushing us, you know, further and further out and they're killing more and more of us, uh, those of us that are that will continue to live to survive, actually, do what? What do you think is in it for us? I mean, what what, what do you think it's gonna is gonna happen to us? How do you think we're gonna be able to maintain our our existence? That's an excellent question. Um, I think um, what is happening is uh, I don't know if it was you or the previous caller spoke about in the refinement stage. I think we're going back into the re to the establishment phase. I think that's why they promote so many movies. And I would say, please stop supporting Hollywood. Stop giving Hollywood your money. All these revisionist movies, all these slave movies, all these segregation era movies. I looked at it as a signal to the white population. Uh, that things are going back to the way they used to be. I think that uh, we're actually, the clock is actually turning back. And Dr. Welsing uh, made a statement one time, and I can't remember exactly everything she said, but she said they're going back to the old ways of doing things. And I think that we see these revisionist movies of black people in segregation, the help, the butler. Uh, now they're talking about making roots over again. They're not respecting our history. That's not why they're telling these stories. And think about this. Most of the time, like the butler was written by a white person. Yeah. Um, uh, so a lot of these aren't even our stories. They're not even covered from us, some of these movies and some of these plots. So um, I believe they're telegraphing to us. That's what I believe, that where they want us to be. And that is back in a form of chattel slavery. When you look at the prison system, when you look at black people being pushed out of major cities, where are we being pushed to? Places where there are farmland, places where there's crops to pick, places where there's nothing going on. Definitely the jobs won't be there. So I think it's, it's hard to talk about this without sounding doom and gloom, but I do think we have to pay attention to the signs that we're, that, that we're getting. And perhaps those signs will make us more serious because we're not serious right now. And... Um, I think it won't just be black people that are going to be impacted by the changing society. I think um, this house of cards, this, um, this fraudulent economic system is going to impact a lot of people. I would say uh, maybe we need to adjust ourselves, you know, reduce our reliance on materialism. You know, a BMW is a nice car, but you know what? It's not necessary for you to be happy. So I'm just saying maybe we have to start working on ourselves and adjusting the way that we think. I'm so happy to hear that you try to keep in mind the way you treat other black people. And when I made that statement, what I meant was when you got rats in the cage and you're shaking and rattling the cage, the rats start biting each other. And I think that in our confusion and all of this terrorism that's going on, we're going to, there's going to be a substantial number of us that are going to bite each other. I see it at my job. I see it in my city. And I live in the Chicago area. I see black people constantly attacking other black people. Black people constantly negatively impacting other black people, and that's what I meant by that was uh, this terrorism has a tendency because of our fear to make us shun 
addressing white people and, and dressing. The rage has got to go someplace. And the rage is not going to go to white people. So where is the rage going to go? It's going to go to other black people. So I just say be careful about it. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. You can go ahead and finish your statement. Go oh, ahead. Yeah. What were you saying? Well, I was going to say, do you think this could have like a a, a turnaround effect in a in sort of a good way? Because, see, I, I, I'm a child of the 60s, and I, and I remember in the early 60s when there was a neighbor that would get sick and all the other mothers in the neighborhood, they would make a cake or come to the aid of that neighbor you know, people didn't, you know, didn't think the first thing you know, was to call ambulance or whatever. People was to, the first thing people thought was was the, the kid from that home would run next door to the lady and tell her that my mom is having a seizure or something, and then that that mom would telegraph to another mother's, and they would maybe get some uh, uh, um, saltine crackers and some Seven Up or whatever, and then they would go to the house and they would help their. Well, I don't know what the saltine crackers or the Seven Up, but I remember that happening with this one particular lady. She would have seizures, and my mother and some of the other mothers they would get together and they would they would get saltine crackers and seven up and they would go to her home and they would help her get the seven seven up down and have her eat saltine crackers and they would calm her and soothe her and 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 I, and I and I had a sister who had polio and I remember all, a lot of the women in the neighborhood when it was her birthday they would bring cakes and pies and stuff like that and it was like it was a more togetherness I mean I know there was people who were still fighting they were still hating there was still that colorism thing I mean it was really bad then but 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 people were also together because that was all we had do you think that that those times might come back or think it might be lost forever you know what I think people are so resilient uh, I think perhaps if things do change you know uh, in some way that people are going to respond, they're going to adapt. And I think that black people could, you know, given all of this. See, the system is so wicked that it's actually rotten from the inside out. So I think that it's going to be eventually destroyed. The question is what will take its place, I don't know. But I do think that black people are so resilient that we could possibly find a way to resurrect some of our humanity that we've lost. Uh, if this system does intensify its attack, maybe even people who are engaged in, in in these sexual relationships with white people, some of this may be having an effect on some of them rethinking their position. So I think that they can, you know, that there can be some positive. This actually, a friend of mine likes to say this: "There's good in all things." There's going to be some good that comes out of this, and I don't mean good as an optimistic, happy-go-lucky people. I just mean something constructive. Yes, I agree. I think something constructive could come out of this, and that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, me too. Uh, Thank you very much, Jake McCall. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, the caller at oh four two three oh four two three. Did you have a question for Pam? Oh yes, I did. Um, lady from New York. Um, hi. Hi, Coach. Hi. How are you? Um, how are you guys? Okay. Right poorly. Uh, could you speak up, please? Speak up, speak up. Okay, I can turn up my volume. Is that better? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay, um, I had a question about what I can do about an incident that occurred with me in a white male today. I was actually um, threatened to be lynched, and I understand that white uh, supremacists, they have such a way with words. I did call the police 
or the share because it was another town. Um, and they pretty told me, pretty much told me there was nothing I could do because he said, well, maybe I'll lynch you. And I'd really like to pursue mm-hmm. um, a harassment charge because if an incident happened where he, he was, I guess, he thought that he was joking. I did not find it as funny. A woman with two children in the car, um, I didn't find it amusing. And um, he said it more than once. First he said he had a, a booby trap for me, which was a noose. And wow. I said, that's inappropriate. You can't talk to me like that. Um, you're being, you know, racially insensitive. And he said, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't say I was going to lynch you. And I said, yeah, that's pretty much what you just said. And he told me, well, maybe I will lynch you. And they mm. told me that there was nothing that I could do about that. And I, I wanted to get Gus's advice and your advice because um, I don't think that that's very accurate. I don't think that is a part of his free speech. So I just really would like to um, have some input on following up on this because I do plan to follow up on this tomorrow. This happened um, a little bit earlier today at a gas station. Randomly, never seen this man before in my life. Wow. And see, that's the thing is you would think that you'd be able to go to the police and file a complaint of some kind. Um, Is this somebody that you possibly would run into again? Does he know where you live? No, I don't think I would run into this gentleman again. Mm -hmm. Um, The clerk at the gas station told me he's a regular who was a black male. Uh, He he said, um, you know, there's something wrong with that guy. There's something off about him. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't plan to frequent that gas station again. But, you know, this can happen at the next gas station because, you know, I feel like that these race, these races are just revealing themselves plain as day. Mm-hmm. It's just strange. Right. Because they're being well. encouraged. Yeah. yeah, and um, personally to me, I just, I'd like to pursue it. I don't know how to go mm-hmm. about pursuing it, whether I should speak to a... Um, supervisor, but I don't think that someone saying, well, maybe I will lynch you is um, a part of their free speech or that I have a noose for you. I have booby trapped this gas hose as a noose. Who says that kind of crap? You know, uh, well, obviously a race soldier, but, you know, I uh, I just definitely wanted some advice on that. I, You know, I don't want to waste my time, but I would, if it's worth pursuing, if it's a glimmer that I could get some type of incident report, something on the record saying that this man has this mentality, I would like to do it. Do you remember the car he drove? Would you recognize him if you saw them? I did, but I did not get a um, license plate mm-hmm. number. I walked away from him. Uh, and okay. when I walked in, I immediately asked if they had surveillance and mm-hmm. was it possible to get access to the license plate number. The manager was called and, and she, you know, she said she'd be in tomorrow. The police didn't mm-hmm. even go inside to try to see if they could because, you know, you always have a time limit on these surveillance um, mm-hmm. cameras, you know, where it'd be maybe one or two days 
usually it's just a 24-hour cycle, a lot of places say, where they keep these things. The um, actual, well, he was considered a sheriff. Sheriff didn't even go inside to see or verify if um, he could see the surveillance or if it was possible that he can catch a plate of this gentleman. He said, gentleman, he said, well, you don't know him. You don't have any identifying information. But it was just strange that before he could even talk to me and get my story straight, he had already run my plate and knew who I was and was definitely able to identify me upon arriving. Just he stood in his car for like uh, two extra minutes and, you know, he he knew everything about me. I know sometimes they have organizations, uh, you know, I, I personally don't like, you know, or certain organizations, but sometimes they have organizations that deal with, with rights and sometimes they do give free information. Like um, I know there's some, I can't think of the name of this uh, organization in Chicago, but there may be somebody that you could actually, you know, call up on the phone, describe the event, and, and maybe they could give you some legal advice. Uh, I hope that the station manager will let you view the videotape and see what information you can get from that, and you can use that to, you know, to at least have that information. But I think probably the most prudent thing for you to do is use a different gas station. And you're not running. You're just avoiding conflict, minimizing contact, avoiding conflict. Because uh, if they're talking about, yes, guy's got problems, then uh, he's obviously allowed to continue doing whatever it is that made them say he has a problem. So you may not be able to do much about him. But I would say the best way is to, and yes, it could happen someplace else, but you at least reduce the odds that it will happen again with him. It's unfortunate that we live under this system of terrorism, but I think it's good that we're aware of it because you can try to do things to make yourself safer. And when you've got your kids with you, you know, I would not go back to that gas station. Um, number one, I, uh, I'm sorry to hear that that happened to you and your family. Um, that, uh, just hearing that that happened while you had your children, uh, in the car. I mean, that is, uh, that is a disgrace. Um, I would, uh, the, the, the first thing that I thought of, I just, I keep emphasizing that this is what I mean. This is why I say that about, this is why I say we should not be under the influence. Cause I mean, now with as horrendous as that situation was, uh, and just imagine how much worse that could have been if you had been under the influence, right? When you went to the gas station, just thinking, oh, I just had a couple beers, whatever. Runs to the gas station, shoot, you're not as sharp mentally to make the best choices. That's what I mean about these sort of things are not isolated. This happens all the time, every day. Uh, in fact, one of uh, our previous guests uh, on the program, Sister Delicia, uh, she had that exact sort of incident happened to her. Black female, young, went to the gas station by herself. Somebody she totally had never seen in her life gets out of the vehicle. Uh, he makes some sort of uh, sexual comment or whatever. She ignores him, doesn't engage, goes inside. She comes back out. Uh, another random white woman instigated, we did a whole program on that, random white woman uh, says something 
uh, slick to the black female, uh, says some, makes some sort of nasty remark or insult. Uh, the white man, out of the blue, takes the gas pump in his hand and pours gasoline on the black female and then punches mm-hmm. her. Now, she hadn't said anything to anybody, didn't respond, totally ignored everybody, just went in to pay for her gas, came back out, gets gasoline purposely poured on her, and then gets punched in the face by some random white guy. And they leave. They call the police and everything and try and get, you know, the same thing, try to get the camera. People are not helpful. Uh, People were sitting around stunned that this even happened. And this sort of thing happens all the time. Uh, This is terrorism. That's exactly why I use this is the way that we should talk about it. This is not that these are just ignorant white people. These are not uh, white people that are just a little crazy. No, this is just standard operating procedure. This is how white people think about us. They laugh and joke about opportunities to commit violence against black people. Uh, So I would definitely, what Pam said, I would never be at that gas station again. Uh, And I would say this to a male or a female because we are in such a weak position. You just do not know. He could have friends. Uh, You don't, I mean, he could be camped out waiting for you to come back to the gas station. Like next time. I mean, seriously. Like, I would never go to that gas station again, and that would be for a male, female. I would say that to somebody who had, you know, 10 children, no children. I would never go to that gas station again. Mm -hmm. Um, I would absolutely follow up, and at least in my view, that's not a waste of time. Um, I I mean, I take that seriously. Like, this is somebody who's talking about killing me. Like, I absolutely think that that is worthy uh, of following up at minimum that should be I think terroristic making a terroristic threat uh, could be what they call a hate crime even though I don't you know particularly like that language but I mean that minimum should be two uh, heavy duty crimes right there uh, that I would definitely pursue and if the police are really not going about it I would follow up there I would you know pursue uh, talking to an attorney or someone who could give you some counsel on that because that seems like at least I mean I know you cannot go up to somebody and say, maybe I'll shoot you. I know that that is not protected under uh, free speech. Uh, and I would pr- also pursue a restraining order, particularly if you can get any information off that camera to like get a license plate or any identifying information. I would get a restraining order like immediately uh, just because. Uh, and I would follow a report. I would definitely follow up on it because that seems like that should be at least two violations. If you can get that uh, information and, uh, Def, I don't know how old your children are, but I would definitely, uh, you know, explain uh, what happened and, and the gravity. I would definitely make sure that they they understand uh, what happened and, and the terrorism uh, that you, know, you all were were subjected to. But I mean, that I can I can only emphasize these sorts of events they have. I mean, they are extraordinarily damaging. I mean, thankfully, this, you know, could have been. Thankfully, it wasn't worse than it turned out, but these sort of events have a huge impact on our mental health. That's what I mean about, I mean, they do a job. White people do a job on us. They can totally have you in a state where you are just distraught, feeling helpless, overwhelmed, depressed. I mean, it does a huge amount of damage on us. Just the toll that that sort of thing, I mean, just resonate with that having this sort of thing happen not just having it happen to you but having it happen with your children in the vehicle and keep in mind that it happening to you does not make them ashamed 
so we just oh, need no, to eliminate. Laughing the whole time. I, I mean, he and the people that got in his telling, trunk, he pulled out. Mm-hmm. He he put his head out the window and was laughing. Mm-hmm. And the white people who either observed it or the people that managed the station, they're not ashamed either. That's what I say. I eliminate the word shame. And, it, and it's hard because you're thinking, well, if people are doing wrong and it's being exposed, don't they feel something? Yeah. They feel like they're being normal. So the thing is, it's like we just get that out of our heads that they don't know what they're doing, that it's random, that it's, uh, you can shame them. No, get it all out your head. Understand that they're waging war. Whatever their purpose is, I don't know. But they're waging war on us. And uh, the things that happen will happen to you, and that's a horrible thing. Uh, the things that are happening are all symptoms of war, of a group, organized group of people who are waging war on another group of people, which requires foot soldiers. And they are foot soldiers. Well, thank you um, for the bit of advice. Uh, I will call back in and follow up and let everyone know how it went. I may just actually go down to the station and speak to one and someone instead of um, calling the sheriff because um, for this incident, I think there was that wordplay, and I think that he. Um, hmm. I don't know how to say it. I think he just validated that, you know, hey, this is white supremacy. What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. They know. They know enough that they can maintain the system as foot soldiers. So, you know, I'm just glad that, that the people that listen to this show understand and increasingly understand that uh, white people are not ignorant. Ignorant people could not maintain a system where all these different people act in concert to support each other. You know, there's no way that could happen by accident. It's not a coincidence. Absolutely. Definitely uh, keep us informed. And uh, I would also, for everybody, uh, but I would definitely uh, take some time to replenish I know, you know, the system does not give us uh, very much time to take care of ourselves, but I would really try to find the time to replenish because I know or I don't know because I don't have children. Uh, But I can uh, halfway imagine um, just the the horror of having to go through that as a parent uh, with your children there. I would definitely take some time to replenish uh, just to do something that's going to make you feel better and it'll be good for your spirits and um, just to kind of get you in a better place after having to go through all of that. Cause that, I mean, that sort of thing, I, again, I can only imagine, but I, I can grasp the trauma uh, that going through that sort of ordeal can have, uh, can be uh, just uh, dealing with all that. And again, my apologies for having to deal with that. And also don't blame, it has no bearing on who you are or your value as a person. I know I don't have to say that, but I think that's important when you replenish yourself. This is not a, uh, an indictment of yourself. However you handled it, this person choosing you out of all these people that he chose or didn't choose or whatever has no validity as far as who you are. You know, you can't let them throw this on us and make us feel that we are somehow responsible or deserving of it. You know, this is not about... Uh, this is, you know, this is about who they are, not about who we are. Thank you. Thanks for 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, Stay safe. Right on. I think we hit all of the callers. Um, I think it was Lashes, and I think one of the other uh, callers had said they had another question they were trying to get in. Um, Lashes, did you want to get your question in? We have about seven minutes left. I don't remember the question. Don't remember <laughs> the question. Uh, uh, the. Uh, it was a gentleman that had the son. Right, right, I think. right. Uh, yeah. Are you still with us? Are you still hanging out, sir? Well, yeah, I'm hanging out. Yes, uh, I'm still here. Can you hear me? <laughs> I heard both of you. Uh, I guess uh, yeah, let's, get the, let's get the father first. Okay. Who is this? Hello? Uh, the first person that spoke up, did you have a question? Oh, this is uh, Saunders. Hmm. I heard, I just... Do I have a mic? Oh, I can't hear you, sir. It was just there was one other male caller who also had a question. Uh, I was going to get him first, and then we'll get you as well. Um, are you still with us, sir? Oh, yeah, I do got a question. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Bess, you said something earlier. You said that we're under the system of racism and white supremacy. That's the culture. And um, I want to say to that, um, what about, you know, and just emphasizing you know, African culture, the things that were hidden from us, stolen from us, and put under the ground and buried. What about, you know, using that as a counter, um, as, as a counter means into educating our children for self-love based on what Pam had said about, you know, being constantly fed with images of racism and white supremacy. I don't watch television, so when my child is with me, he doesn't watch television. Uh, we do a whole lot of constructive things outside of television. Um, just culminating African centered education to counter the system of racism and white supremacy in terms of what they see all the time. What do you guys think about that approach? I mean, is that a logical approach? I think it's a logical approach. I think I think I think the two things combined, you know, teaching them about the system and teaching them uh to have uh more Black-centered, if you want to call it, you know, that's a phrase that should be used, you know, uh, as far as knowing something about the past, the history, all that. I think all that's good. I think that's good. I think that kind of uh, supports the... Okay, so uh, what about me telling him, you know, like, his black skin is beautiful, his nappy hair is beautiful, you know, and when we see white folks, I tell them straight up, you know, they're different. You know, like, when I say different, I tell them, you know what I mean, they don't have skin and, you know, they're evil and they're just not good and, you know what I mean, look at their hair, they don't have hair, they have fur. And I mean, these are things that kind of tell, like, little small things to kind of, like, make a comparison of animals, you will. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, it's attacking the subconscious. Because at times I kind of feel he sees it, you know what I mean? But still, him not being raised around, and I bring him around black folks anytime I have more night. You know, I just shoot up to where I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm where a whole lot of black folks are in the white sight. And just have him around other black children because the lack of that exposure, you know, and uh bothers the hell out of me. Yeah. I think, uh, is that, is that a, you know, about to mm-hmm. it there. Yeah, I could see, you know, teaching them something about, you know, the history of t- teaching them to value uh, the unique differences of black people. There's, um, you know, there's a reason why we were made the way we were made. 
and being careful not to say certain certain things with your children. Like, you know, we a lot of us, we use phrases like good hair, pretty skin, pretty color, light eyes, pretty eyes. I think all that stuff has to be wiped out the vocabulary. Uh, having a lot of magazines and things around with half-naked white women in it. Um, you know, a lot of, of us have these catalogs, us women, we have these clothing catalogs, these magazines, and they're just full of half-naked white women, white women in bras and panties and stuff, and I think that should be eliminated from the home. Uh, I think anything that normalizes white supremacy, anything that says that black is inferior, if that can be read from the home, it should be taken out the home. And when their child encounters it, you know, talk to them and say, you know, we're in the system, and the system, this is one of the lies of the system that black is inferior, you know, that this is superior to what you are, you know. So I think, you know, whatever you can use to buttress their understanding that this is a system, I think the system has got to be a foundational, and that is, uh, you know, so the child will be able to build upon that, you know, have something to take that extra knowledge and put it on top of that. But congratulations you don't watch television. That's great because that means your kid won't be sitting in front of the boob tube all the time. Amen. Well, ma'am, as a matter of fact, hang, they hang on one actually second. Hang on one second. I wanted to make sure we got the uh, other male caller in as well. The other male caller who spoke up, did you have a question you wanted to get in before the program concludes? Yes, I did. Proceed. I wanted to ask, um, you know, um, Pam and you guys about you know, about the, um, you know, the, I forgot the guy's name, the guy who killed the nine, you know, black people. Dylan um, Roof. Dylan Roof, you're right, right. Now, I'm anticipating that, uh, you know, they're already, like, you know, discussing whether or not he's going to get the death penalty. Whereas, you know, if the individual was African-American, whether, whether he killed his own people, whether he, if he killed nine black people, he's getting the death penalty. If he killed nine white people, he's getting the death penalty. But you can see how... In cases like this where white people blatantly kill black people, they're constantly, you know, it's always this talk about, well, let's see if he's going to get the penalty. The same thing with the with this guy, the shooter in, um, in uh, um, Colorado, the shooter that killed you know, people in the theater, you know, the Batman guy. They're talking about whether or not he's going to get the penalty. So, you know, do you guys feel that, you know, that that's going to happen, whether or not, you know, Dylan Roof's going to get the penalty or they're just going to give him life? And 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 let him be on his merry way because I could see how they were treating him, how they gave him a hamburger, you know, when they was had him in custody and stuff. Went out when he was hiring, really got him a hamburger and stuff like that. They're showing sympathy already. Also, the uh, the judge when when basically that they they raised this, they gave the, a bond or something, and um, they were. I'm no, I'm sorry, I'm talking about the wrong person. But anyway, I'm talking about Ray Tensing when they, uh, you know, gave him a million dollar bond and, and everybody was clapping and the judge got so upset. She yelled, she was like, oh, everybody remain professional. She was like, she was so angry that people was clapping because, you know, they gave him a million dollar, you know, bail, which he, he posted anyway. So that wasn't a big deal for him, you know, but anyway, how do you guys feel about that with Dylan Roof? Do you think he's going to get the death penalty? And if not, and if so, why? And if not, why not? Um, well, uh, will he get a death penalty? be honest with you, uh, I would be surprised if he was actually executed for killing a black, any number of black people. I'd be surprised if he was executed for that. Uh, so I don't particularly anticipate a death penalty conviction. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think he's going to get the death penalty now. Uh, I wouldn't expect him to. 
he's a foot soldier. He may be mm-hmm. a distasteful soldier in that they, I think there are two camps of, of white supremacists, and one is the ones that are overtly violent and the ones that use other forms of violence. Uh, so mm-hmm. I do think that uh, his behavior might have been distasteful as it is being so blatant, but the underlying reality is all he did was kill some you-know-what. Right. And that's why he got hammered. We are, pretty much we did our three. Uh, I guess my my quick word would be, um, you know, all things considered, I don't know, not diminishing the nine victims. I'm not saying in that respect, but I guess I would say it like this. Even if he is convicted, I don't think that would change very much in the system of white Mm -hmm. supremacy uh that could that i could see them executing him and just chalk that up to a white sacrifice oh well we lost one they lost nine Eh, that's still a good one for us i could totally see them (laughs) doing it that way or with the momentum because it's been a lot of talk about or yeah a lot of rhetoric about uh changing the criminal justice system and the death penalty is bad and it's racist and <laughs> the FBI report about all this bogus data where we were lying and convicted some of these folks on death row and got all these drug sentences and blah blah blah. I could totally see them doing mm-hmm. away with death penalty and them doing it where it just happens to coincide where he won't be executed. I could see that happening. Uh I mean they could it's it's I was talking to uh I was talking to Dr. Rasayan and I was talking to Mr. Fuller uh about the same thing and I was like uh that's what white supremacy means. Like we could do it either way and we still win. That's what white supremacy means. We could do it either way. He could die, we win. He doesn't die, we win. Whatever. Uh that that is I mean, that's the option that they have. That's the power that they wield right now. But I think it will be interesting to kind of see how that plays out uh with regards to racism, white supremacy. Um, with that, oh, and they did. They had a, a group in uh, Duke, down in North Carolina. They uh, they apparently released a statement saying that Dylan, I think they got a little closer to the mark and saying that all white people are like Dylan Roof. I think they got a little better than the white guest that we had on a few weeks ago, uh, who was kind of saying the same thing but deviated away from the path and just ended up practicing a lot of racism. Uh, I'm going to read it to make sure, but I think they might have done a better job of explaining what it means to be white. And Dylan Roof is just another manifestation. I will check on that. And unfortunately, uh, I did confirm that there are uh, reports uh, that are saying that Jonathan Farrell was indeed shot eight times while crawling on the ground. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's in the dash cam video. I will not be watching that footage. Uh, Protect your mental health. Uh, With that, uh, Pam. Last word, anything you want to say to uh, wrap us up? RacismWS.com RacismWS.com Anything you want to say to wrap things up? Yeah, you know what? I would like uh, to just say on my blog, RacismWS.com I had a blog and I had three or four parts. And one, it was called Talking to Black Children About Racism and White Supremacy. You can find it on the side where the archives are. And I did have some suggestions about some things that you could you know, some ways to talk to our children. This show was supposed to be about about that, and uh, I think all the other subjects that we covered are things you can talk to your children about. The, your personal experiences are things that happen. We have to start talking to our children. We have to lay the foundation uh, uh, because I'm telling you something. One thing I will, will also say and throw out there, you have to be careful when you have black boys and they're out here running around with these white girls. 
They are putting themselves in physical danger. I don't know how to make that point stronger, but you've got to start talking to these black boys. A lot of people are popping up being lynched, are mysteriously killed. I don't know what exactly is going on, but I will tell you this. It is putting a target on your head, on their heads. It's not as dangerous for black females because white males have the prerogative of messing around with non-white females. They always have. Nobody's going to kill a white male because he's walking down the street with a black woman or Asian woman or a Hispanic woman. He may have some social consequences, but he's never going to hear a hair on his head harmed. A black man, however, can get killed for being with a white woman. They're going back to the old ways of doing things. So if you have black boys, nephews, sons, grandsons, however you need to make this point, plant that seed. I know people who have told me, several friends of mine, male friends have told me that they were taught at a young age to stay away from white women. And to this day, three of the people I know have never dealt with a white woman because of what their fathers told them. And the fathers didn't go into white supremacy, this and that. They basically just talked to them. And they never did. It's dangerous. It's going to be dangerous out here to do that. And uh, I just want to throw that out there. We have to start telling our kids the truth. Ashe. Ashe. Uh, we should be back Friday. Ben Tillman, Reconstruction of White <laughs> The threat of Negro domination hangs over us like the sword of Damocles. That is still the line of the summer. I, uh, I got to find somewhere where I can use that. Ben Tillman, former governor of South Carolina, four-time U.S. senator and proud white supremacist killer of black people. His quotation, they should put that on his stand. In fact, that would be my suggestion. You don't have to change the name of Tillman Hall. You don't have to take his statue down from the state capitol. You don't have to change uh, the building at Clemson or the, any other of his other. Just put that quote up. Ben Tillman, the threat of Negro domination hangs over us. Wow. Like of the, that, that would solve all of our problems. I would be totally happy and we can all have a great time explaining why there's a statue to a man who would make such a statement and bragged about killing black people. They're not ashamed. They're not ignorant. They brag. They brag and make monuments to white terrorists all over the world. Uh, Friday, session number, I think, seven, unless I'm off. I think seven. Number seven on Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, and compensatory call-in on Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, looking forward to hearing from folks uh, this weekend. Workplace racism. Workplace racism. Chime in. Uh, thanks, everyone uh, who dialed in. Appreciate the calls. Uh, hope everyone will take care of their mental health as best they possibly can. Gus is tired, too. Don't think they're doing all this. It absolutely is fatiguing, but under a system of white terrorism, uh, you resist or serve. Make a choice. Uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. I think a lot of the anecdotes that we've heard this evening would have been way worse if the victim had been under the influence in any of these predicaments. Uh, sobriety would be best if you can't do sober, at least do codified. Uh, stay, you know, definitely don't want to be around any white people and you don't want to be around any white people under the influence. I mean, period. Uh, but I would not, you know, want them in my presence if you're going to be under the influence. And I would even be careful about other non-white people that you're around because it's just too frequent 
that we're not thinking correctly. We've, you know, had something to drink or whatever and just unnecessary conflict and problems that could be easily avoided. Uh, that just happens too often. Like really be, you know, cautious about that to make sure that it doesn't, you know, end up being something that you regret or, or just causes uh, unnecessary conflict. Um, certainly not behind the wheel of a vehicle. And I would even say be cautious about being a pedestrian. Uh, enforcement officers and white people in general, uh, they're just looking for an excuse to come and molest and harm black people. It's unfortunate that you, you know, have to think that way. It's unfortunate to have to make that as a suggestion, but it's just too many illustrations of what you heard on the program tonight. This is standard worldwide. This is standard. This is what you can expect from white supremacy. And the best way to defend yourself is to be honest about that and try to minimize the damage as much as possible. Uh, with that, Pam, do you want to do uh, the prayer? Wrap us up. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't have one in mind. Okay, no, no pressure, no pressure. Uh, I will knock it down. Thanks again for folks tuning in uh, and visit the website racismws.com. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times all areas of people activity each and every time we are in contact with another black person remind us to care for our mental health as best we can help us reach out for help when we need it remind us it is okay if you are unhappy sad about the way you are mistreated under the system of white supremacy that is normal that is being human let's be as honest with our children as we can the hopes that these brilliant young black minds will help us solve the problem immediately it has been time replace white supremacy with justice as soon as possible context of white supremacy signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim no brother problem. you're a victim right. i'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my condition mm-hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.